Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Real Deal Talk. I am fired up about today. We are got we've got the this guy. I've been watching this guy for the past probably at least six months. He's popped up on the radar and he is crushing it. This is one of my youngest um, guests in history of my podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with Cody Cottle. Twenty-nine? Yep. Twenty-nine. Um uh three profitable companies by the age of 29 29 uh lead flow academy is one of them right what's your other one content daily content daily so we're going to get into that stuff but uh first as you guys know we're going to dig into the backstory because i need to know how to how do you at by 29 have three profitable companies so we're going to dig in and find out where cody came from literally but before we do let me just do a quick announcement for uh, real deal sleep because real deal sleep's paying the bills around here ladies and gentlemen first and foremost let me thank everybody that's watching and listening from the bottom of my heart um, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you tuning in. I can't. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the feedback that I'm getting everywhere I go now, especially with the one we just launched with Pastor Jurgen. People on. are losing their minds over that uh, podcast. So if you haven't watched that one yet, tune in. You're going to find out his entire backstory all in one shot. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in. First and foremost, if you left a review, if you don't, please do um, spread this to your friends. And if you want to support the, the show financially, Real Deal Sleep, my mattress company. It pays the bills around here come purchase a mattress email me from the or direct uh, message me from the website realdealsleep.com i specialize in um we specialize in sleep systems, zero gravity massage features, like basically the most elite way that you can sleep to maximize the repair process of the human body, which only happens naturally when you sleep, of course, is with a sleep system. So if you want to know more about that, contact me. If you want to support the show financially, come on down, go to the website, um, click on there. You can sheets, pillows, mattress protector, you name it. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. Spread the love, uh, spread, do a like, spread the po- uh, podcast to your people and write a review if you can so all right back to cody coddle ladies and gentlemen so even though you haven't been on the planet that long we're still going to go back <laughs> and, and you act also, like i'm 12 over here <laughs> <laughs> i might look it but i might look um and i'm gonna and i also want to prove something today ladies and gentlemen like i didn't get to where i'm at because i've been unteachable in fact it's the opposite I'm at where I'm at because I've always been 100% teachable. The reason I'm telling you that is not to brag about myself, but to tell you I've got a guy in front of me who's 29 years old. I've been in business almost as long as he's been alive, but I'm going to be the first to admit that I have something to learn from this guy right here because he's the new age of how things are really being done these days with lead flow generation, lead generation, uh, online uh, e-commerce businesses. He's in the know. I'm old school, so I'm learning as fast as I can, but I'm going to, I'm going to, lock in with this guy moving forward with my businesses i can already tell because he can teach me so much in the business world right now and i am i am all ears 100 percent. can't wait to learn from this guy so and i'm using this as a lesson folks don't ever think that you know it all because you got somebody in your life that knows a lot more than you and speaking of which cody coddle let's break it down bro um thank you first of all thank you so much for coming on sharing some of your time i know you're a busy man yeah, well, first of all, it's an honor to be on here, JD, because I've been watching you from afar, and uh, you always want to get in rooms with the right people, right? Who you surround yourself is going to have such an impact on the trajectory of your life. You're a man that um, I respect a lot, a man that doesn't just talk it, but lives it. So it's an honor to be here, man. Let's have some fun. Let's change some lives. Let's do it. That's it. Dude, I appreciate this, the kind sentiments, and you're, you're so 
right. We talk about this all the time. Everything, everything is um, contingent on who you're surrounding yourself with, mm. right? And and from family, and because we have family members um, that you know, maybe some people in our family are some of our biggest critics, or the ones that are kind of let's yeah. all say hating on us. You know what? You you don't have to surround yourself with them. You know I'm that's just, a hard one too. It right? is when you step out to build your dreams. It's usually your family that doubts you. It, it it absolutely is. They're the first ones. So anyway, we won't go too far down that path, but I'm sure we'll circle back around to that. All right, let's break it down. Where were you born and raised? I hear yeah, yeah. an accent of some sort. Where were you? I got a unique accent yeah, because I was born in uh, Southwest Michigan. I actually grew up in a small farm town called Alamo, Michigan. I also lived six years in South Carolina, picked up a little southern twang, and then came out here with all you Cali peeps that are just too cool for school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, so I was born and raised um, in Alamo, Michigan. You want me to go in the full story? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my story's um, it's pa- a little... Parents, the, together, give me the whole... Yeah, yeah, let's, let's go deep. Guys. Let's go. So, so here's the truth. <clears throat> I, uh, I was born to a single mom with two kids because my father, Craig, got arrested. He was a biker gang leader, a national boss over a biker gang, and he got arrested and he's been in prison my entire life. Wow. So when I was three months old, my dad went to prison and my mom raised me and my little sister, Autumn, came two years later into the picture. And uh, I love my mom. My mom's an amazing woman, but we had a hard life. You know, I've been evicted from a home three times. I've lived in a car twice. Uh, I grew up <clears throat> just around drugs, alcohol, partying, a mom that loved me, but just always had to bring the wrong people around me. And uh, what's interesting about my story, JD, is I feel like I would qu- qualify myself as an at-risk youth. Mm. You know, I came up more at risk and more prone to make bad decisions in my life because of the environment that was an incubator for me as a child. But at 13 years old, everything began to change. So at 13 years old, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, we were poor and I knew it. And I always wanted to help my mom out. I always wanted, I was kind of looked at and talked to like the man of the house from like nine years old. So there's this level of responsibility. Like people ask like why I am the way I am at 29. I had to become the man that I am today at nine. And I had to learn and grow into that. Even though I couldn't do much at nine, I wanted to. I had a desire. I had a hunger inside of me. So at 13, I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, I'm going to start my own business. My mom's like, what do you mean you're going to start your own business? Mom's like the most non-entrepreneurial person on earth. I love you, mom. (laughs) But just not her calling. And uh, I was like, it's simple. We live in this small, you know, country road. We have nine neighbors. I'm going to knock on all their doors and I'm going to offer to do yard work for them. And she's like, okay, just stay on our road. So I got to knocking doors, man, 13 at the time. And uh, the first door I knocked on was my neighbor and his name was Wally. And I knocked on it, knock, knock, knock. And he opens the door. Hey, Cody, what's going on? Hey, you know, I want to start my own business this summer. I'd love to do some yard work. I'll weed your garden. I'll pick up rocks out. I'll, I'll mow your grass, whatever. And I, you know, I look back on that moment and I believe he looked at this, you know, young broken kid from next door and he gave me an opportunity. And he saw something in me. And he's like, sure, come over tomorrow. I'll find something for you to do. I'll pay you five bucks an hour. I was ecstatic. Oh, yeah. I get home from the school bus. I'll never forget it, man. It's like this memory. I drop the backpack and I sprint over there just ready to get to work, right? And uh, he opens the door and uh, takes me around back. And there it is, the John Deere mower. <laughs> I grew up so poor. But in Michigan, you guys got to know, being a young man and mowing like your grass when yeah. you're like, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Like in Michigan, we grew up in the Midwest. We actually have yards there. <laughs> and uh, I had never rode a riding mower before. 
we were so poor, I'd only had to push a push yeah. mower because yeah. I couldn't afford one. And uh, he showed me and taught me how fond memory, how to ride this mower. Wow. And I mowed his yard. It was really big and I got done. I was so proud of myself and I feel like I did a pretty good job for my first time. And he's, uh, I'm getting ready to go get paid, right? You're excited. It's like first job. I just finished it. And he's like, hey, pull up a chair. I want to talk to you. He slides me a Sprite and uh, he begins to speak to me like no grown man had ever spoken to me before. And keep in mind, guys, I didn't have a dad. So I didn't have that male role model pouring into me, mentoring me, like just being a father figure. I only had a mom. And this man began to speak to me like I actually mattered. And like he actually cared about what I had to say. And Cody, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's important to you? And I'll remember he looks at me and he says, there will never be another you in the world, Cody. And you can do and be anyone that you want to be. I wear a bracelet that says there will never be another you. Wow. And um, because that man changed my life. And I found out later he was, he began to mentor me so much so that he became like the father I never had. Wow. And I moved Did in he with have kids him. too. Uh, he had a son who was now in his thirties who lived in Florida yeah. and they actually had a hurt relationship, but wait, the story is wow. going to take a turn. Yeah. I, um, I ended up moving in with him because he became like this dad I never had. And for many people that would seem awkward, right? Here's my house and uh, my sister's uh, dad who was a different dad was kind of in the picture and there was some friction there. And I ended up moving in with our neighbor, but I still had a great relationship with my family. Like they're next yeah. door. I saw him like every day, but I lived with Wally and he poured into me. But what's crazy is when I went to move in with him, he sat me down, he said, Cody, I have to tell you something. Now, I had noticed, J.D., that he coughed a lot, yeah. that walking upstairs, he would pause like a couple times walking upstairs. I guess he seemed ill, but I was so young and naive that it was easy to overlook. It was never talked about. Right. And he sat me down. He said, the day you knocked on my door, I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, about six months prior. And the day you knocked on my door, 13 days before, the doctor told me I would not live more than a year. And you have to know if you move in with me that I'm dying. And the doctor told me, wouldn't live more than another year. And what's crazy is I believe God creates divine alignment for our assignment. Here's a man who's diagnosed and told that he has a year left to live. Here's a kid that grew up without a father that's broken, is trying to be something in the world, young, hurt, doesn't have a male mentor. I happen to knock on his door almost two weeks later. He becomes like a father to me. I move in with him. He lived three years wow. until I was 16 years old. He had multiple myeloma blood cancer. Mm. It's terrible. It's in the blood. It eats away at the bone marrow and the bones. The bones get so brittle. You wake up in the middle of the night and you have hairline fractures in your ribs because that's how brittle his bones got. On top of that, he had emphysema. He was a smoker as a young man. He grew up with alcoholic parents, grew up a really tough life. And that had caused a lung disease in him that he was battling for a long time. Those two things, terminal. Mm. Like you're not going to make it out from those two things. But it's really beautiful because he spent the last three years of his life pouring into me, JD. Yeah. He changed my life. Wow. When he passed away and I had to go back to the old home, back to the broken home, I was not the same man. And I remember just like busting down in tears, like just crying, so angry with God. Like, why would you take him away from me? And God really showed me, I didn't take him away from you. I gave him to you. Yeah. You know, like you, and oh, you yeah. to him. And so I was changed forever. And I've always had this, I don't know how to explain it, man, this fire in my heart that I want to be for other people what Wally was for me. Mm. All right. So, okay. So you jumped ahead to 13 on me. Now we need to break down on how that happened. Mm. Okay, I'm going to dig in a little bit here. Go ahead. Because I'm, I'm dying to know here. 
All right. So your mom, so you said a, uh, the household was like this. So how, at what age do you remember your mother telling you that your dad was in prison? That's a good question. So or do I you? was, no, I'll tell, let's go there, man. Yeah, I like yeah. going deep. So I didn't like, I was so weird. My dad was never talked about for my childhood. It was just like this thing of like, oh, I don't have a dad. I don't really know why, but I don't have a dad. And I didn't think much of it, but around eight years old, I started like wondering like, mm. where's my dad? And I started asking questions and I played football and these things and these other kids had their dads there. And I'm like, well, mom, like, who's that for me? So there was like this gap that was always there that was never talked about. Yeah. And then uh, around nine, 10 years old, I was, one of my mom's friends was babysitting me and my sister and she had uh, older sons. And uh, they said something to me and I was like 10 years old and they were making fun of me and they're like, yeah, your dad's in prison. You're probably going to end up like him. Mm. And I'm this 10 year old kid. I don't even know what that means. So you hadn't, you had no knowledge of that up to that point. Yeah. Wow. So I go home and I'm like, mom, what did these, they just said, like Janet's kids said that like my dad's in prison. What does that mean? Where's my dad? Who's my dad? And I started asking all these questions. And finally, my mom breaks down one night and tells me about my dad. And she's like, you know, I wanted to keep you from him. I wanted to protect you. But now, you know, we, I feel like, you know, you have an opportunity. You deserve to know who your dad is. So we didn't know where my dad was. Mm. My dad's been in federal prison for 10 years. And my mom had to go find him. And we began and she wrote him a letter. And then we began to like um, pen pal kind of yeah. with him and then talk to him and built relationship. And then she took me, maybe it was at nine when that happened. Cause at 10, about a year later is when I went to meet my dad for the first time. Wow. Yeah. So were these other kids, the older kids were making fun of you mm -hmm. Th at that point. Once you found out, did more kids from your, your friend groups at school find out about this? Like, was it a thing? <sighs> you know, uh, within like, that was, um, more like the babysitter like yeah. group and her kids. I definitely got made fun of there. Um, at school, I think it, it, it wasn't talked about yeah. for many years, but people always ask questions and I would get angry and just like not talk about it. Right. So people would make assumptions, but it wasn't like this rumor that spread through, you know, right. elementary. Yeah. 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 And so your mom, like, was she working jobs, two jobs? Like what, how was she like how was she um, providing when you were, when it was just her? Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, it was tough. My mom was a, a lot of times a waitress, mm. um, you know, two, three jobs. She did like yard work for wealthy people, like their gardens and stuff. She would waitress and wait tables. Um, she had a good job when I was younger at Head Start. So Head Start actually was like a government funded like program for like kids and stuff like that. And like they had preschool and like that. And she was, that was probably the most stable our life's ever been. Yeah. My mom was with them for three years and then budget cuts came. Um, I think it was like 08 or whatever. Things got tough and they let my mom go. And then from there, it just became like hell again, to be honest. Yeah. My mom was in and out of jobs and, you know, we would be at a home. Everything I think would be good. And I come home and there'd be a giant red paper on the door. Hey, you have 30 days to vacate the premises yeah. because mom was falling behind on rent. And then how old was your, your sister, older or younger? Uh, two and a half years younger. Two and a half years younger. So that's all all the siblings that you have is one sister? Yeah. it's uh, If you really want to go into yeah. it, my father also um, had another oh, child. Oh, a half sister. I have a half sister gotcha. who's 18 days older than me. <laughs> oh, so, wow. So that's an interesting story. My dad knocked up two women in the same month. Wow. Yeah. And did you, do you communicate with this half sister? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we have a good relationship. She came to live with us um, for about a, a year um, she had a tougher life than me. 
her mom was uh, addicted to drugs and, and she passed away of an overdose. Mm. And she came to live with us. And uh, what age know, were you? Man, I think I was 11. Yeah. Or 12. No, maybe 12. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And she came to live with you. Yeah, she lived wow. with us. So how did mom find out at that point or did mom already know? About your mom already knew that there was another. Yeah, she. she um, I feel like she kind of knew. You know, it's interesting because my dad and my mom were best friends. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, I wasn't like planned by any means. But it's really cool because there. We'll bring this thing full circle, oh, yeah. but bring it to here. My dad just got released from prison a month ago. You're kidding. And he's me. on home confinement, living with my mom right now. No way. Yeah. So there's a, but there's a God story. <sighs> like it's a, it's a story of redemption. Yeah, you can, you, let's let's table that. I just had to like put the seed, so okay, they're like leaning seed. in, and now they got to wait till well, later now I'm to leaning hear. in. But I can't. We can't go there yet. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, this is cool. Yeah. Not cool, but I mean, it's cool that this we're unraveling this whole story of yours, which is amazing. Yeah. And that's what I want, guys. Is you know, you got you're all seeing as successful guys that have got his own podcast. He's got the lead flow. He's crushing in the business world but I, I really want people to get to know who exactly who you are where you came from and how like yeah. and, and also what you went through to show that it's possible yeah to have this broken childhood so to speak and then just to come out looking and doing what you're doing now all right yeah. so anyway let's get back all right so um go back to the the childhood where this is where i'm really fascinated here do you remember anything from like elementary school any big yeah. moments any teachers any coaches that had an effect on you how was school for you did you like school yeah i struggled as a young man in school um i was always really intelligent so things came really easy to me but i was also very hyper mm. so i you know i was kind of a class clown like i distracted other kids like i'd have the test already done completed and you know have at least an A minus on it and I'd be distracting other kids. So that became an issue. And uh, I also like, because I grew up the childhood I grew up in, I was like smaller than some of the other guys. Like I didn't like grow as much as they did, but I would, I would fight anybody. Mm. So I had a really tough childhood where my mom was always getting called down to the principal's office, was always getting fights with kids. And uh, I had a teacher that really uh, took me under her wing. Her name was Miss Ratnauer. And uh, she loved me. And I was always charming. Like, my yeah. teachers loved me. My principal, like, I was always that, like, sweet, charming kid, very charismatic. But I was also that kid that you had to keep an eye on because I just had a rough home life. Yeah. It was manifesting in the way I showed up at school. And uh, what's crazy, though, is my mom uh, took me to see a counselor about like my dad being in prison because there was behaviorists you're starting to show up and I kind of became like the bully to the bullies. Yeah. Like I would kind of would go like kind of single out the guys that picked on the other kids that couldn't stand up for themselves and I would like start stuff with them. Mm. So my mom took me to a counselor because she believed it was because of my father and like that trauma inside yeah. of me. What's crazy though is I was a part of that generation that was like the Ritalin generation, right? Where my generation all got labeled with ADD and ADHD. Right. We got took there. This doctor had me sit in front of a computer screen. Every time you see an X hit a space bar, that was my test. And didn't even really listen to me, didn't even get to know me. Goes to my mom's like, yeah, your kid has ADHD, ADD, and a little bit of OCD. Like, what? would you just check every box on the paper <laughs> for me, bud? And literally, he's like, yeah, so I think your son should like take these two medications. And my mom, being a single mom, is like, are you sure? Like this and that. And he's like, yeah, no, this is what your kid needs. He'll behave better in school, I promise. So they put me on these pills, and I turn into this zombie. And uh, so I went from you remember this, what you were taking, exactly which ones? Uh, they started me with Ritalin. And what age was this? I was young, man. I was Eight, in nine, elementary like school. Yeah. 
I think I started taking medication in second grade. <sighs> Man. Yeah. And uh, then it was, um, I had like some side effects from like the Ritalin. Then they put me on something called Stratera. Yeah. And uh, I felt like a zombie. And I remember I was on that up till like, uh, man, I feel like I was taking it till like just the beginning of middle school. And uh, it would make me sick to my stomach. I'd feel like a uh, zombie. I didn't feel like myself. So I knew the reason my mom was making me do that was because of the issues at school. She's working two jobs. She couldn't keep coming down to the principal's office because of my behavior. So I secretly every morning, my mom would like, hey, take your meds. I wouldn't swallow them and I'd put them in an Altoids can. And I had this like drawer in my desk and I just would put my medication every day. And I just began to like go into my head and like be like, you know, I'm going to behave today. I'm going to be on point. I'm not going to make a scene. And I just began to like work on myself at a young age. And then, you know, fast forward so many months, I get this teacher review and everything. They're like, Cody's amazing. Like whatever you're doing is working. And I'm driving the car with my mom and my mom's like, I'm so glad your medications work. And I just break down like, mom, I haven't taken my medication like six months. And we get home and I show my mom the Altoids can of all the pills. And my mom just starts crying. Never made me take medication again. Wow. Never had behavior issues ever again. How about that? Yeah. So what does that say? Talk I mean, about that anything the that's all the mind can doing. I mean, willpower is everything. You know what I mean? So like instead of trying to uh, give a medication to you know, solve a symptom of a child, go to the root of it and figure out the root is. Now, I didn't actually go to the root of it because I didn't know how to do deep work. But what I did do is I had enough willpower to know that I didn't want to live like that. So even as a young man, I developed this perseverance and willpower that I'll just figure it out. And then discipline. Discipline. Yeah. 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 The Wow. I'm so glad. So I'm glad we got on that because this is such a common thing, especially nowadays, man. Everybody's just medicating their kids. It's crazy. Because it's the easy way out. Or putting an iPad in front of them. Yes. You know, it's like, so it's like whatever is easy on the parent they're right. doing, but understand that is going to have an effect on the adult that that child becomes. A hundred percent. And that's the thing as a parent that I'm battling with right now, and Rachel, my wife and I, is we made it so, like, because when they get that iPad, dude, Kids are glued for as long as you allow and them. And for to a be parent, on. that's a nice when you finally get a break oh. and you get some peace. So like, I get it. I don't have kids yet, but Absolutely. I have a nephew and I've taken care of him and this and that. And I know when you put the video games or the iPad, they behave, but it's also like you don't want them to grow up that being their right. lifestyle. Totally. It's, it's such a fine line. And parents that are listening and watching, I feel you. Because even though we've, we're doing, I think, a really great job, my wife and I, with our kids. It's one of those things, man, but you, you just got to cut it off. And when you cut them off, even after like an hour or two, dude, they flip out. Like what's ever happening is is not good. It's yeah. affecting their brain. It's affecting their – anyway, we're not going to go too far into that, but just t- touching on it since you mentioned it. Um, okay, so go back. All right, so now here's where I'm, where I'm fascinated by here, and I can't wait. So give it to me when you first found out about your dad. Like what was the initial reaction that you were like, God, I want to find this guy. I need to know because you were realizing that other kids had their dads yeah. and yours wasn't around. So when you were asking questions, what was she saying to you prior to the babysitter in, in, informing you that he's in prison? Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you said, "Hey, where's Dad?" What? How was she answering you? What was she saying to that? Do you remember? Yeah, I have to. I have to dig in on that. Yeah, like, do you remember asking? Which? What would she tell you? Would she tell you? I don't know. Uh, your dad's away. Do you remember what she tell you? Like, like along the way, like what she actually said to you. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. You know, I think uh, there was definitely some naiveness of not just knowing for a while. And then I think when I started wondering, you know, she, there was a time in my life, like I, there's like a, a distant memory of, I, I do remember her like talking actually well, instead of like being like negative, like your, your dad's a bad man or something. She's like, no, your dad's, you know, your dad's a great guy. He's just not in our lives. Yeah. Like kind of, that was more like her answer. Like, no, your dad's a good guy. He's just, he's not in our lives right now. And then when I found out he was in prison, she, um, she told me my dad was in timeout. She'd in timeout. Like, yeah. So she'd be like, Hey, you know, how can you make a mistake? Like, can you go to timeout? She's like, your dad's just in adult timeout right now. And I'm like, what does that mean? Right. So then like, it's crazy too, man. Cause like a lot of this stuff, you just, I've moved forward in life, man. Yeah. I've just been like yeah. a bulldozer, just right. like driving yeah. forward, you Tuned know, these, it out. yeah, you know, you just kind of, okay, like that's, is what it is. I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I've built an amazing life for myself. Now, a lot of these things are surfacing because my dad's coming back in my mm. life. And we've had a relationship. We've talked for on the phone and I've gone to see my dad a few times for since I was 10, now I'm 29. So 19 years I've been developing a relationship with my dad, but Every time I got to talk to my dad, you have a call from a federal prison. Please press five now to accept. And the call is capped at 15 minutes. So I never got to talk to my dad for more than 15 minutes my entire life on the phone until literally a month and a half ago. I'm in La Papa de Gallo down in Lucadia. My dad has a cell phone now, calls me. I look down, it says 36 minutes. And I know I'm skipping ahead on this. Yeah. And, I, and I started crying. I said, I've never talked to my dad. I just realized it hit me. I have never talked to my dad for more than 15 minutes. I mean, we did go to visit him, yeah. but on the phone. Right. Wow. So what happened when you go to visit him? How did that feel? How was that? Yeah, the first- How was the first time that you saw him? Tell me about that. I was so excited, honestly, man, like to meet my dad. Uh, so like, I think anticipation leading up was really cool. My half sister was supposed to go. Then she, she still has never met my dad ever in person. I'm the only one. I've went and seen my dad three times and uh, she just- you know, it's a little different story for her, and she didn't want to meet him in prison. She was too scared to. Mm. She didn't want to meet our dad till he came home. She didn't want him to be a part of her life at all until he was through that season of his life. Yeah. For me, I was excited to meet my dad. And my mom made it fun. We took a road trip. To, it was Whitehall, Pennsylvania, Triple Max Security Prison. It was all fun till I got there. Once I got there, it was very intimidating. Like, I'm this little kid... And I mean, it's so scary when you go into like a triple like security yeah. federal prison because there's there's guards and there's gates and they're shutting and you're like locked in these little containments like halls and then there's like windows and buzzing and like all this stuff. Then you get in this open room with like armed guards and like these little tables and he was in a tan suit. It wasn't orange. And uh, there's like vending machines so it was, uh, it was an interesting experience, but I think getting past all of that, it's like, whatever. I got to sit down and talk to my dad, and it's still one of my greatest memories is, like, meeting my dad and, like, just getting to know him and asking him questions about him. And I was 10, so, like, as well as a conversation can be at 10, but I went to see him on my own at 18, and that was a conversation that forever rocked my life because I got to talk man-to-man -man yeah. with my father. So when you were 10 and you give me the first meeting, what was his reaction when he saw you? Yeah, biggest smile ever. You know, he's kind of was overweight in prison. He's getting older. Like my dad's like sixty something now, and but this is a while ago, and uh, he was just so excited. Like I just, I just remember just so joyful. Gave me the biggest hug. Was just so happy. He started crying. Uh, the only time he'd ever seen me. Oh, he only ever seen me a couple times. Yeah. Because my mom and him actually 
you know, that she got upset with him when I was born. Um, and she like walked into, he owned Harley Davidson shops. Yeah. So he had like multiple Harley locations and businesses. She walked in his Harley shop and he always had like his big books and she plopped me down right on his books and was like, this is your son. That was the first time like that he ever met me. Yeah. And cause she actually moved out of state for like the first month and a half, two months I was born and then came back and he only had about a month with me before he got incarcerated. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So you imagine being a man like. I don't know if he was in his like thirties or whatever, you know, seeing your son for like, just like a a few times in a month and then getting locked away for, it was a life sentence, but then it got bumped down. Wow. What what was it for? Are you uh, able to? Yeah, I don't mind saying, um, nonviolent crime. Cause everybody always wonders that like your dad murdered someone or something. No, but he, this was also, I'm trying to remember what president was at the time, like Nixon or regular, they were really cracking down on organized crime and biker gangs and stuff. So they had, um, they were responsible for probably about 80% of methamphetamine mm. in the Midwest. So their biker gang was moving a lot of drugs, trafficking a lot of drugs, and um, firearms and things like that. A lot of ex-military guys. So there was some weapons charges thrown in there that were pretty serious. I think yep. even the word terrorism got thrown around and stuff like that. They made an example. But what's wow. crazy is my dad... Um, my dad grew up with my grandfather, who was a Christian family. He was a pharmacist, owned multiple pharmacies very successful. My dad was um, like high school jock, great athlete, like held the record for like most sacks, middle linebacker, like all that stuff at Otsego High School. Still had records when I was in high school there. Wow. Great childhood, went to the military, ended up leaving the military, had a falling out with my grandfather. And he, my grandfather was really hard on him and really mean to him. And then that led him to meeting a guy named DC Danny in Chicago, Illinois. And DC Danny was a national boss of the DC Eagles. Mm. And he was like a father to my dad. And he took him under his wing. And it, it was for my dad, it was like another father that really nurtured him later in his years where my grandfather didn't do that. So when DC Danny passed away of cancer, my dad was a, the assumed national boss, but they hadn't gone through the uh. officiation. So when the there was a six-year investigation on this biker gang, I mean, huge, man, huge, like at the biggest federal level of like cracking down, um, like FBI agents, DEA, all that stuff. So my dad got the book thrown at him. But here's the thing. The truth is my dad's a good old boy biker gang leader. He wouldn't rat. So my dad was the only one who just stood his ground. Why person after person after person turned to get an easy five years, to get 10 years, to get 15 years. My dad wouldn't do it. Um, So my dad got thrown the book at him. Wow. No kidding. That's crazy. All right. So go back to childhood here. You said your, how was the, how you said your childhood in the house was rough. What, how did you move in with the neighbor? That's where the story I'm dying to know as far as the details on that. Like what? Because that's that's kind of crazy. Yeah. That you would move into the with the yeah. the house next door. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Why did it happen? How was mom? Was she like, yeah, no problem? Was she fighting it? Talk yeah. to me about that. Like, what was the decision there? Yeah, it's you know it's interesting because we all have these unique childhoods, right? And from the outside looking in, opinions are always formed and this and that, but. The truth is that like he just became like a big brother to me, a man that was dying of cancer. And I I would go over there and hang out with him every day. He was really successful. Like he had owned businesses. He had money. Like he was in his later years of life and he mentored me. Do we listen to Tony Robbins tapes? Like I first learned about like Tony Robbins and Anthony Robbins at the time, Earl Nightingale, like um, Zig Ziglar. Listen to him with Wally. 
So like he's pouring into me and my mom saw the relationship that was formed there. Uh, so meanwhile at home, also I've kind of left someone out of this story uh, and I do want to honor him. My sister has a father named Mark who I also called dad. And he was kind of like, he stood in the gap a lot of my life and maybe I don't honor him enough. We had some rough years that I'm going to talk about in a minute, but he was, he was a great man to our family. You know, he had my sister with my mom and he didn't have to, to try to be like a dad to me. And for a while, I think that was hard for him, but he would take me with my sister and he would like, you know, pour into us. And the problem was later in life, like I wasn't his son, Autumn was his daughter and there was some friction and he grew up a farm boy and it was like really hard on me. And there was this massive friction in the house where I was super defiant and angry deep down because my real dad wasn't there. And I had this guy that was my sister's dad that I didn't feel like loved me as much as my sister. So I probably challenged him a lot too, which created this natural friction in the home. And it was probably not the best for like my mom and sister right. with how that was. So then I meet Wally and Wally became this outlet, like this father I never had. And I would constantly like compare the two and like tell my mom, like, you know, I just want to hang out Wally. And over time, my mom made some bad choices and she started like dating this guy that wasn't like the best. And it was this really unique season. And it probably is hard for her because we've talked about it. We've had a reconciliation, but she went and moved in with this boyfriend. So there was this house that like Mark, my sister's dad and her, because it was tough to pay the rent moved in together and we're co-parenting me and autumn weren't together and there was my neighbor wally who i developed this father-like relationship and my mom ended up dating this other guy and would go stay with him a lot so it was in this leaving mark in the house right yeah but they weren't together okay oh gotcha okay got it oh okay. so so my mom was in mark have never been together been like best friends so it's just it. it's a weird dynamic for those that grew up in a really like stable home to understand right and this was where I went to um, my mom and I developed such a relationship and I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. Like, I want to go live with Wally. And at first she was like, no, there was, there was pushback on it. Yeah. But it created this relationship where like her and Wally, like we all hung out and like they, they were really good friends and stuff. So when that transition happened, I basically just told my mom like, hey, this is what's best for me. And if you actually want what's best for me, then you need to be okay doing that. Because you're dating this Dave guy who I don't like, who I don't want to be around. And I'm not getting along with Mark right now. And I don't want to be around him. And Wally's the only one that's pouring into me and loving me in the way that like I need right now. So it was a, it was a tough season, wow. man. It was probably looking back the hardest thing my mom's ever had to go through with her children. But also like God blessed it, man. Like God gave me what I needed in that season. It doesn't need to make sense to the world. It, it just worked. Yeah. Like God created this alignment out of it. And I got mentorship that I needed at a season in my life to become the man that I am today. Mm. And it was all because you decided that you were going to start a business and go to the neighbor's houses and do their yard work. Yeah. I'll right? tell you what, man, that drive for entrepreneurship, every great blessing I have in my life has come from it. How about that? Yeah. That's how that happened. That whole alignment between you and Wally who then spoken to you the way that you needed to be spoken into at that point, right? Yeah. Really cool, dude, like how that happened. Because I was, as you're saying it, I'm thinking, wait a minute, how's mom with this? But now you're describing the situation where she was kind of leaving to be with this guy Dave a little bit here and there. It makes sense. Yeah. But nonetheless, still fascinating, right? Crazy, still crazy, I should say. 
All right, so keep going here. So you got to the point where um, you were, you got off the meds, right, by yep. yourself. Yep. Um, go from there, like as you started doing that, or, or let's say when Wally passed, give me, give me your, how you felt when Wally passed, did you go back to, then you had to go back to your house, right? And how did that go when you went back to the house? This is our toughest season in my life. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, this man that was so much for me was no longer in my life anymore. I actually, I did good. Okay. I was really sad. Um, here's let's just, let's just be raw, real, and vulnerable. Yep. I uh, I took to the streets. Mm. I got angry, and I um, there were some other things that happened in my life that aren't mine to talk about that are personal to other family in my family that hit around the same time. So there was there was like, multiple traumas that happened. So I uh, I ran away actually, and I went out on the streets and I started selling cannabis. Mm. That entrepreneur spirit in me rose and I became really good at it. And I found myself hanging around the wrong people, making the wrong choices, um, bouncing from house to house, living in friends' basements, living with different girls and stuff at a young age. And um, I was slinging weed, to be honest, man. And I just had an encounter and I knew that like, you know, I believe it's the Holy Spirit I know now, but I knew God was like, I was starting to live a life that wasn't my life to live. Mm. So I, I went to my mom and my mom had left that man, was getting her life back together. And I told my mom, hey, I don't want to live here anymore. This is all hurt for me. Like every time I like Wally, you know, like all these things, like uh, what's going on with my sister and all this different stuff. I can't live here. If I live here, like I'm not going to be a good person and I'm going to move south with or without you. And I told my mom that I was 16 and my mom at first thought I was crazy. Two weeks later, she comes back and says, okay, I'll move. Me and my mom left Michigan wow. on her own. And it's crazy because we were supposed to go to Waxhaw, North Carolina. She had friends there. We were going to start there and figure it out. We're driving through the West Virginia Turnpike. It's the middle of a blizzard, like crazy blizzard. What man. about the half-sister? What was she doing? She had gone back and was living with her aunt and uncle. Ah, okay. Yeah, so she had left a, a couple years prior yeah, man, it's weird talking about childhood, man, because I don't yeah. open this door a lot to go this deep on this stuff. Kind of just have moved past it. But I'm an open book, guys, yeah. because yeah. you know people see me now and they don't understand. Like, hey, I've been through, I've been through the thick of it, and, and uh, if I, I can get where I'm at, yeah. you can too. Because this makes you that much more inspiring. Of people see the successful guy firing away. Yeah. This is this, and there's a reason this is coming up right now in your life. By the way. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. That's Think crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure, dude. So as long as you, I'll, I'll keep asking as long as you'll keep going. <laughs> I'll keep going. I'm open Let's book. Let's do it, dude. So West Virginia Turnpike, 16 years old. My windshield wiper stopped working. It's a blizzard. We pull in this gas station. I'll never forget it. We go by Rainex. We pour it on my windshield just so I could see it was bad. And my mom gets a phone call, and uh, I like don't know what's going on, but she, I could tell she's upset. And her friend we were going to stay with called my mom as we're on the way to stay with them and says, me and so-and-so are getting a divorce and you guys can't come here. Oh, wow. Like what? We just left. You know, we're on our way to you guys. So it was this crazy like moment where my mom didn't know what to do, but I've always had this ability of like, mom will figure it out. And I was like, we pulled up a map and I was like, we'll go to Raleigh, North Carolina. So instead of Waxhaw, we went to Raleigh. It's a big city. We went there. We stayed for a few days. Um, we were on Craigslist looking at jobs, looking at homes, looking at stuff. And my mom's like, I don't like Raleigh. It's too big of a city. 
So then we, we left Raleigh and we went south and we went to Charlotte, North Carolina. And we were in Charlotte and we thought we were going to get this place. Like, dude, it was crazy, man. Like money was getting tight. My mom only had a few thousand dollars like cash. We were burning through it. And uh, this guy we thought we were going to rent, he didn't give it to us. But he let me and my mom sleep in this empty house. We slept on the floor in sleeping bags um, for like a couple nights to save us money because he knew our situation. That's going on. Then we go to um, Whiteville, Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, which is like the Cali of the East Coast. And uh, that was really like cool. We had a lot of fun there. I wanted to live there. Mom couldn't find a job. So we're at, um, we're in Whiteville. I think it was North Carolina. We're at this public library. And we were looking at Craigslist ads for places to live and looking at jobs. And I kept seeing, you know, on Craigslist, I don't know if you used to use Craigslist, how there would be the recommended on the bottom. Yeah. Like not what you're looking, there was like close to recommended things. I kept seeing Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Mm. and I kept seeing it over and over. So I looked up Myrtle Beach and I'd heard of it and heard it was kind of similar to Florida and stuff. And my friends used to go on vacation there. And uh, I told my mom, we should move to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My mom's like, you just want to go to the beach and have fun. I'm like, no, there's a lot of job postings and a lot of places to live. We should go there. So we start looking into it. My mom calls like a Damon's Grill and they give her an interview. And then we look and we find this place three blocks from the beach in our budget. And I'm like, mom, this is like God, like this is him opening up for us. Like we have to take this. And my mom's like, okay. So <laughs> have you ever been to Myrtle Beach? Yes. Okay. Do you know, have you ever heard of Atlantic Beach? I have. Okay. So we moved to Atlantic Beach. So for those of you that don't know, back in the day in South Carolina, (laughs) there was about three, four blocks segmented off called Atlantic Beach for the Mm African-American community. Still to this day, it is the ghetto on the beach. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's like from 30th Avenue to like 34th Avenue. I moved on to 30th Avenue. And I, uh, so we get there and we roll in and we're excited, like three blocks from the beach and we're driving down and I knew right away. I was like, oh, crap we're in the hood like we're in the hood hood like they're outside smoking crack hood and uh we pull in and slumlord but it was the only place we could afford and and we took it my start at 16 years old was literally in the hood of south carolina my new life with my mom oh my gosh but dude we made it work man like i i had a a dog at the time and i skateboarded on my longboard on the street and man they'd all like all these african-american people be watching this little white boy never seen anything in life they would all come out of their homes to watch me skateboarding down the road like like i cannot believe that this white boy's in our hood right now skateboarding with his dog (laughs) I just, dude, I didn't care. I just went for it. And it was crazy because downstairs, I think his name was Big Ricky. Uh, Big Ricky like ran our street. And uh, I lived upstairs from Big Ricky. And I got to know him and like develop friendship. And every day I'd come home from school and he'd be like smoking a blunt like on the porch. And (laughs) I just developed a friendship with him. And you know what? He looked out for me and my mom. He said, I like you, Cody. And he was like, if you I, you and your mom are good, no one's ever going to mess with you guys. Like this wow. is my street. And he looked out for me and my mom. And then, how old was he? Oh uh, man, uh, he was probably like late twenties. Because you're in your, you're about sixteen here, yeah. Yeah, he was probably at least ten years older than me. Wow, gangster running, running it, you know. How yeah. crazy is that, dude? So was anybody judging you or coming up to you at all like, when you first moved there? Like, dude, what are you doing here? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, like there is all the time, and there were close calls. You know, like God's had His hand in my life. I mean, dude, I, I kind of. Those days made me a man. Let me put it that way. There's things I had to go through, but I I figured it out. I pushed through. You don't take crap. You don't back down. 
And I was always been good at forming relationships yes. with big dudes like JDs in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I did the same thing in boot camp. My boot camp was all Jersey and Philly, and it was I had never been in a um, integrated community. Let's call it. So the majority was the, the the company was hardcore street black people, black guys, and they were hard. But I made friends with Sean O'Grady, Philadelphia Irishman, 6'5", 275 pounds. No one messed with us. Because <laughs> I made friends with him. Even yeah. though I'm a big dude, I wasn't big as and majority of these guys. Anyway, to your point. So nice work, dude. I love that. Cause you, so out. Big Ricky. Big Ricky. <laughs> Shout out to Big Ricky if big you listen Rick. to this, bro. Uh, you probably saved my life a, a few dozen times, so <laughs> grateful for you, homie. Oh, my gosh, dude. You got to be kidding me. Dude, I, man, I, there's one time I remember- uh, Give me a story. Come yeah, on. Give I was, me some I was, stories. So the here. ocean, like Atlantic Beach is actually one of the nicest beaches because no one goes to that beach. Like, right. Nobody's stupid enough. I'm scared. To and uh, I loved going out to the beach down there. The sand was perfect. Like tourists didn't come there, this and that. It's right on the, you know, the ocean. And one time I was down there and uh, a group about like six dudes like came up to me, were messing with me. And and like the way it works in the hood too, that, you know, they'll like, they'll try to run your pockets or tell you to give whatever you have or like, hey man, give, give me that phone. That's my phone. Like stuff like that, try yeah. to mess with you. And I just, I never would take it. Like I'll fight every, all six of you. I know I'm going to get jumped and get the crap beat out of me. So I had this time and I'm down there and I don't have the dog and I'm by myself and I have a skateboard and I have a phone and they're telling me to give them like my skateboard, my phone. They're like, Hey, I like your shoes too. Giving me crap. And I'm just like, nah. And they all start like coming up to me. They circle around me. They push me a little bit. All of a sudden black SUV rolls up. Window comes down. Big Ricky. Hey, that's my boy. All of them. <laughs> Just disperse, bro. <laughs> and he's like, hey, if any of you lay a hand on him, you're dealing with me. No way. And I think he even had like a Glock or a 45 out the window. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm with Big Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No way. Yeah. And they never messed with me, man. Oh. And I was always respectful too. Like I always did things for the neighborhood. And we had this, this old black lady like up the road and she'd always be out there and I'd like sweep her porch off. And like, I was just kind and respectful, man. I had manners. The hood acquainted to me and my mom for that little season of time and let us live in their territory. We we're the only white people. Oh my gosh. So did you go to school? Yup. So I'm Tell go to, I go to North Myrtle Beach oh High School, Lord. man. And guys, I grew up in the country. This is a really like life shock for me. Total. Moving to the hood was one thing. Going to school, walking in, um, and they do uh, drug dogs at least once a month. So there's two canine units, um, six metal detectors, uh, probably 60% African-American students. Um, large. Like, I think white was the minority. Yeah. We had a lot of Mexicans. We had a lot of blacks. And then like the whites were kind of yeah. minority, maybe half of it. And uh, that was a shock for me. Like, I grew up just going to school in the country where, like, if you want to have a fight, meet me at the flagpole. Right. And now I go into school, and it's like they're searching our pockets. We're walking through metal detectors. They're running drug dogs by us, by the classrooms, by our cars. I've never seen anything like it. Wow. So tell me about <laughs> How, how was school right off the bat? Like, was there trouble? Was there, or did people know you were with Big Ricky in school? No, Big Ricky was a, a different demigrant. Like, you know, they, nobody <laughs> was, knew about him. He was the streets. Yeah, he was way out. I mean, he probably dropped out of high school at like 15, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nobody knew him in school. No, no. And like, I, you know, I went there and I think I'm kind of naturally charismatic, but in the beginning, I had made some big like lifestyle, lifestyle changes. Like, I was. Hint, I hinted on I was selling cannabis and stuff yes. in Michigan. Yeah. I let all that go. Like, I stopped smoking weed. Like, I was I was there to turn over a new leaf with my mom. Right. 
And even though we were in the hood, I, I've always been determined. I was focused and I tell my mom every day, like, we're not going to be here long. Right. Like, I'll get us out of here. And I've always been that way. You guys could go ask my mom. I've just kind of had that drive for my family. I figure it out. Yeah. And started getting good grades, started getting acquainting in school. Things started going good. I met a guy named Will. Will's dad owned a landscaping company. He was very successful, big landscaping company down there. I got a job with him. I started working with him. My mom was working. Uh, one night, uh, Will... I, I had my own car, but he drove me and dropped me off from a job, and he took me into Atlantic Beach. He's like, you live here? And uh, his dad, her dad did. And I was like, yeah, we live here. And he's like, no, you can't live here. <laughs> and I'm like, well, we live here. You know, it's what we got. It's all we could afford when we moved in. He's like, all right, well, let me see what I can do. We very connected guy, good old boy, grew up in the South. Um, and he had a friend who owned multiple real estate properties. He's like, hey, um, my my buddy's got a tenant that's about to move out on 32nd Avenue in Cherry Grove. Very nice area to live. Yeah. And he's like, uh, I want to see if we can get you and your mom in there. And I'm going to talk to him and I'll introduce your mom to him. Dude, he got us. Like, we ended up moving out of the hood into Cherry Grove. We were literally three blocks from Cherry Grove Pier, one of the nicest areas to live. That happened within six months. Wow. Because this relationship that I formed from this job that I got, doing landscaping, I worked my butt off, and our life started getting better. Wow. And all this, and and, and keep the the underlying uh, theme here is when you seek, when you go out, yeah, and the relationships that you build along the way. Everything's about relationships, man. Everything, everything. You know, seeking you will find, knocking will be given to you. Yes, and and at the end of the day, bring value wherever you go. And that's that's kind of something I've learned too, yeah. right? Like you know, I he didn't just I poured into that man's business. I was the hardest worker there. And I formed relational equity with him yep. and he had compassion and empathy and respect for me. So when he saw me and my mom in this situation, he did what he could with his relationships wow. to help us out. How great is that, dude? It's amazing, it's a, man. It's amazing. That's how it works. But it's, it's amazing, but it's simple. Like everybody needs to take notes here about build relationships. Don't burn bridges, build relationships, bring value to those that are in your life. Yeah. Bring, bring value. It goes a long way. Guys. It goes a long way. Because it's all about who you know. I know that one old saying from way, way back, it all, it's all about who you know. It couldn't be more true. Yeah. I mean, it goes deeper than that, but that's the gist of it. But it, takes, right. a, it takes a turn. It's, oh. Are you ready to go back down? I am. Let's go. <laughs> okay, well, let's go. I, it's an interesting turn. So uh, I had my own I'm car ready. in high school. Um, I think I just was about 17 years old. And Now, did you switch schools as well when you moved? So, well, from Michigan, I had moved to North Monroe Beach. I Correct. stayed at that school. I oh, graduated school. from North okay. Monroe Beach High School. But did, when the guy got you out of the hood, was that after school? Meaning, were you still at the same school? Yeah, and that was still to- at the same school. Okay. I met his son at my school. That's uh, how I met him. Because I formed it. friends with okay, him. Got it, got it, got it. And it's crazy. And that came from relationship, too. There you go. It actually came from chemistry class. I sat in front of Will. And uh, he was struggling with something, and I turned around and helped him out with like something that we were working on in a project. Yeah. And I helped him out, and he's like, hey, man, you're new here. Like, What are you doing after school today? And that's how we hung out, wow. but it started with me giving him value. Mm. So it's like there's always been that theme, just you know, you lead with value. 100%. So uh, things are going good, man. I got about probably about $2,300 in my bank account. I was always better at like making money, saving money than my mom. And I come home one day, and there's an eviction notice on our home. Mm. Like, what do you mean? Like, how? Like, I had no clue. Like, mom never mentioned a word. And uh, I go talk to my mom about it. She's like, so sorry. You know, I just didn't want to stress you out. And this, mom, I have $2,300. I'll pay the rent. Just tell me. I, I want to help. And 
uh, she's like, no, this and that. And I tried to call, um, you know, John, our landlord, and this and that. And I was like, I knew where he lived because I dropped off rent there before. So I went to John's house with and the is this eviction. the new landlord? The, the guy- new landlord. Oh, jeez. Man, and like everything was good, but I guess, you know, you're running a business, so I get it. And uh, I knock on his door and he opens the door and and, I'm, and he's like, hey, nope, you and your mom need about this. I'm like, listen, dude, I didn't know about this. I had the cash. I pulled out my bank account. Here's everything that we owe you. Like, please just let us stay here. He's like, I'm sorry, son. Like, I can't. I just need more stability in there. And he tells me no and slams the door in my face. And I go home and I've been doing everything right, JD. I got so angry with my mom. I was like, I can't live with you anymore. I can't do this. I moved out. I was like, you, because she, she was hitting me with this. Well, I have this friend at work and we'll go stay with her for like, tell me I'm going to live on a couch. I'm like, mom, I'm almost 17 years old in high school. I'm not living on some random lady's couch. Not doing it. Sorry. And I have $2,300 in my bank account. I will figure it out. And I did. And it's crazy because things, I always had this entrepreneur gene, man in me and to be honest like i wasn't like partying i wasn't doing drugs but i was watching i was always observing and learning everything and i watched how the weed game worked in south carolina in the school in the high school and uh so i go to my buddy and i'm like i don't even smoke or anything i'm like hey i need you to take me to so and so i want to get something i got back in the game Mm. and that's how i did that man and i ended up moving in with an older guy named mad max he was my muscle and we lived together and i (laughs) If, I don't know if you want me to speed up. I'm sure you're going to go back on it. <laughs> but from 17 to, I don't share this with the, I can now, I guess. I built just about a seven-figure cannabis business over three years on the streets. I went from that situation of being evicted from my mom's house to oceanfront condo, driving Mercedes Benz, graduating high school a year early, like all these things, man. But I did it the wrong way. So I'll pause there. I'll let JD unpack and dig in because there's a lot I just spent through. Oh, Lord. Three years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hold on here. Hold on. <laughs> so Mad Max. <laughs> We're starting there. Yeah. Who is Mad Max besides, uh, you know, the, the movie? What do you mean, Mad? How did you meet Mad Max? Yeah, I met him at a party. Um, we went to... I think I met him at this party like through a friend and uh, to be honest, the first time I met him, he was known for fighting mm. and uh, this kid was running his mouth to him. This dude was probably like six foot tall, black guy and uh, Mad Max hit him once, dude pissed his pants and hit the ground and that was the first time that I had ever uh, met Mad Max and we developed friendship. Um, I always become friends with big dudes, yes. you know what I mean? And uh, so me and Max, we were friends in... When I started to get back into to that world, uh, I remember going to Mad Max. I was, I was seventeen, and Max was probably like twenty. He was older than me, twenty four, twenty five, and uh, I went to him and I said, "Hey, man, I gotta find a place to live. Like, I gotta get out of like where I'm at. I can't live with my mom anymore." And he's like, well, "What are you gonna do?" I was like, "I don't know, man. You want to be roommates?" And he was like all right, we can figure it out. And he was at this one place he didn't really want to be at. And I, I just, I'm a driver, man. So I started looking around at places. I was like, hey, I found this place. It's kind of near the beach. I think we threw in together. We both can get it. Matt Max became my roommate. My first roommate was a, a 25-year-old guy that could knock just about anybody out, grew up on the streets his entire life, grew up in the hood, and he knew the streets. Yeah. I knew I needed to be in proximity to someone, especially because of the direction I was beginning to heading right. with somebody that, that could protect me. What was he doing for money? Man, he was working odd in jobs, beachwear stores and stuff like that and hustling drugs. Yep. And so he got in with you like you guys were basically running the business together. 
Yeah, well, I was always a businessman. So like yeah. things accelerated fast and I was always good at that. But we had an agreement where it was like, hey man, I'm just, as time went on, I was young then, it became this relationship where I took care of him financially. Like, you know, like I, I actually, I'll pay the bills, I'll cover everything, you know, this and that, like, just, watch just make sure I'm good and nobody messes with us. And we began to build a team just like you're doing a business. Yeah, yeah. We began yeah. to recruit, we began to build a team around us and we built an A team, man. I don't talk about this a lot. Yeah. Um, and man, we did, we did our thing, JD. Oh my God. We did our thing, bro. Wow. I want to, I want to unpack all of this, <laughs> but I don't I don't know how much we can. Yeah, exactly. There's some things we can't, but. There's a statute of limitations, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, because this is a while ago. We're talking, what, 13 years ago? Yeah, we're in the clear. I think we're good, right? All right, so just give me a couple of things here. So you had, you had guys, like the, the smaller guys distributing, you were bringing in big stuff. Yeah, it started, it, started, it started small, right? So it started like going to a guy and being like, hey, man. You know, I want to buy like a half ounce from you. And I would go flip that and I would come back. Uh, and it's interesting. The first guy, I came back three hours later and he's like, you're already done with that? I'm like, yeah, I need another one. And then I came back and I was like, I need double the amount. And I came back three times in one day, the first day. And he's like, bro, screw this. I'll just give you a quarter pound. Like here, just yeah. take this. Like stop coming to my door. QP. Yeah. QP. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, and I, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I went out and it just built from there. Um, it, it, at the beginning, it was like, we're going to run around to like 50 stops a day. And that wasn't like doable and it was too risky. So then it became kind of building out a network of people like, hey, we're going to give you this. We're going to give you this. You guys are going to go work these territories. And then it was like more drop and pick up cash. So if you speed forward, I don't want to go into all the yeah, nitty yeah, gritty yeah. of that world. But I will just say that it got to a point where I had really built this system of like, I had developed in the guy that I would get from. This guy would want to meet me. Yeah. Then that guy would meet me. And then that guy's guy would want to meet me. And then that guy's guy's guy would want to meet me. And just slowly but surely, like, who is this young white boy? And I just started popping up. With that came big risk yes. back then. Yeah, um, the further you're going up. The we got pretty big, man. We got, I got, I can't say a lot, but I can just say it got to the point where it got really scary. Where I would get calls and guys in military suits would show up to my house with duffel bags or meet me at random locations and like give me duffel bags. And then from there it had to go out. Um, and it, it got a little farther than I wanted it to go, yeah. but I was so deep in it that uh, it was hard to get out. Mm. But but God God really intervened too, man, because what, uh, I'll yeah, tell you yeah, this. How'd you get out of that? I gotta be careful on a podcast. Yeah. Um, all I'll say is that at 18 years old, I'll say this, I did get in trouble finally. At 18 years old, we're moving this giant network. The cops know who you are. Yeah. Like, drug enforcement unit, DEU there, knew who I was, this and that. But I was really smart, man. I wasn't a thug. I wasn't, I didn't do anything like anyone else, so they couldn't get me. I was this, I had a job. Like, I did everything above board. Like, I, you could raid my house. Like, I was good. Yeah. And then one night, I go out with my buddies, and we're drinking, and my buddy wants to go back to my car, and uh, he wants to roll, like, a joint or whatever. And I, at that point, carried a gun. I had a three fifty seven Magnum. And we had a little bit of, like, cannabis on us and stuff. And a bicycle cop of all the cops in the world, a bicycle cop comes up and shines a light in our car. And my buddy's in the back seat rolling a joint. And uh, as you can imagine, so I know how to talk and this and that. So yeah. I'm like, hey, man, just shut up. Cop comes around to my driver's side door because he was on the other door. I roll the window down and I'm just like, hey, how's it going, officer? This He's like, yo, you smoking some weed or not? I was like, yeah, you know, my buddy is. He's rolling it up. I was like, hey, man, give it to me. We gave it to the cop. He's like, 
He's like, is this all that you have in the car? And I'm like, oh, crap, crap, crap. In the back seat is a drawstring bag that has a 357 Magnum and about two ounces of weed in it. Mm. What do I do right now? So I end up reaching. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go into two details. Yeah, Long story yeah. short, I gave, I gave the officer that cannabis, and he's like, this is a little bit more than a little. Pulls me out. I get arrested. I'm 18 years old. I do 18 and a half hours um, in a jail cell. And that was a unique moment I want to bring back to Wally, guys, because this is about two and a half years after Wally passed away. And I began and I had built this life in this world. And I'm sitting in a jail cell counting the bricks. There was 183 bricks. I count them over and over and over again. And Wally sat down next to me. And he said, how are you honoring me right now? You know, I poured into you, Cody, there'll never be another you. Is this really the life you want to live? Is this really the man that you want to be? Um, and I, I started crying in that jail cell, man. Like, I was just realized, like, how did I end up here? And then I got home. My mom came up to me, and she said, Cody, you're becoming like your father. It's breaking my heart. My dad was a drug dealer. I didn't even realize it. Yeah. Man, I talked to my dad on the phone. I'd, I'd met him once. And all of a sudden, I'm becoming him. And I had this radical encounter. And I actually had to do community service. And I picked a church. And I went to church. And I was serving at a church. And I was in the back row waiting to vacuum that night. And they were worshiping. And, uh, you know, you hear about the Holy Spirit. You hear about getting baptized by fire. JD, nobody laid hands on me. Nobody baptized me in the Spirit. I was in the back of a worship in the nosebleeds trying not to be noticed there for community service because I was a drug dealer and the spirit of God hit me and I hit the ground. Are you serious? Hit the ground. Dead serious. About 20 minutes later, I believe, I wake up to um, one of the associate pastors. Hey, Cody, are you okay? And this is the South. I'm like, what happened? He's like, son, I think you just got baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just like, what's the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you know? And that was, that was my first encounter. Wow. With Jesus. Come on. Doing community service, man. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Dude, this is great. <laughs> Have you told this whole story? Bits and pieces. I Bits went a little pieces. deeper with you guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's what happens here at Real Deal Talk. God, yeah. We JD really deep. is go, a real deal. Yeah, we go deep, dude. Deep dive. Oh, dude, I love this. All right, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> All right, let me get some more Celsius. Yes. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> and you picked a church. <clears throat> was there other options to do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of options. And you hadn't been in church in a long time, yeah? No, and it's interesting with church, right? Because I'm, I'm big for, you know, I'm very kingdom. And uh, everything I do is to build the kingdom of God and to exalt Jesus Christ in my relationship with him now. Back then, uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was actually a priest. So we grew up going to a Catholic church. I had a family growing up that was big into like Bible study and non-denominational church, and I would go with them now and then, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Mm. I believed in God. Yeah. I talked about the world and the universe and all those things, right. but when this happened, at the time that I needed it to happen, I was all in. So I started serving at the church. 60 hours community service turned into like 600 hours that year. And I just began pouring it in, being at everything, going to youth group, being super involved. I got baptized in the ocean. I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, things were, were going really good. I got into sales. I had built a network marketing company up. Then I went into real estate. I got into timeshare. I started making good money. Because yeah, I, had, I had tasted a lifestyle too, guys. Yeah. Like I started right. making good money. And like to go back to like waiting tables or busboying was like really hard. It was like, all right, God, like 
I'm all in, but like, how do I make money? And then that's when I learned about sales. Like you have the sales skill. There are legal opportunities to use that same skill. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so yeah, so that, that, that happened. And what's crazy though is that money is really easy, guys. And if you grow up on the streets and you're like me, you know what I'm talking about. And even though I changed my whole life and I got super involved with the church and I was from the outside looking in, I was doing everything right. But there was a time when I got a phone call and there was a financial opportunity and I took it. And all I had to do was pick a bag up, drop a bag off, and I made like $8,000. And I was like, "Ah, just once a week, what's the big deal? So I started doing that again. Mm. And uh, one thing I didn't mention in high school because I graduated a year early. I want to say this. When I got arrested, guys, two and a half weeks before graduation, and my principal pulled me in. You want to know something really embarrassing, man? Yeah. In South Carolina, they have a mugshot magazine where anytime anyone gets arrested over the weekend, their mugshot comes out in a magazine that's on the counter of every gas station. And there's a website like um, HorryCountyMugshots.com. And there's a teacher in high school that will pull up and look for the kids that got arrested that weekend, and he'll blast their mugshot up on the big screen in front of the whole class. So when I came back to school, everybody knew I got arrested. Wow. And everybody was like sending pictures around on phones, and he put me up in the classroom. They were tagging me on social media. I was all over the internet. I got arrested with a firearm, with weed, like all this. So it was a pretty big deal. I was dating this girl at the time. And uh, her parents are like, you can't be with him anymore, like all this crazy stuff. And I get pulled in the principal's office and I get told by the principal and the vice principal, hey, um, you're not walking on stage. Like you can't walk with your graduating class. And I was like, dude, I was pretty tough in school. Yeah. I busted down like a little girl, man. Like I started crying because my family never graduated. I was doing it a year early. I was actually graduating high school in three years instead of four because I'm also, I was pretty smart in high school. And all of a sudden, because of my decisions, I wasn't going to get to do that. So I remember like arguing with my principal a little bit because they were telling me I had to come back in summer school to take my exams. And I'm like, no, let me take them today because they were going to have a cop walk me off the premises because even though you're innocent until found guilty in the public school system, they won't let you on the school grounds if they found out you have a pending felony charge. And even though that all got dropped and I didn't get, so I have a clean record. So anyways, I took every senior exam guys in one day i did all of my exams jd just to graduate just to graduate and i did wow and i got my certificate but they didn't let me walk and i was labeled as that guy and i cleaned my life up we go forward to where i i just was at with you guys and i started still doing things on the side well i i didn't mention when i moved out on my own um south carolina has a really cool act called the mckinley kento act And that states that if a child is living on their own when in high school and they have a a full-time job, they pay their own rent, they're not under an adult supervision, and uh, they have passing grades that they're allowed to miss school. So I actually got qualified for this special act where I was allowed to miss school as long as I had passing grades. It's just just crazy system. In the process, I got thrown into um, Angel Tree because I have an incarcerated dad, which is a ministry for kids that have incarcerated parents. And Fred Hembry was the prosecuting attorney in South Carolina, and his wife was uh, doing a bunch of charity work. And I had developed a really good relationship with her. And all I'll say is, I, I, I can't go too deep here, but I will tell you guys that I started going back into that world, 
And I happened to run into her at a gas station and she just spoke life into me. And she said, Cody, you're such a good young man and you have such a bright future ahead of you, but you got to stop making the decisions that you're making because they are going to catch up with you. And she, and I just took it as a sign from God. I just kind of knew in my, she knew, you know, I won't go too deep in that. She knew she, she, she gave me my saving grace, JD. Mm. I moved back to Michigan. I was like, you know what? I'm too entangled in this world here. I need to go back to Michigan. My mom had already, and I- Your mom was already back there. Already back. So I was actually living in South Carolina on my own. I built this big drug dealing life, and then I found Jesus, and I was doing that, but I was still doing some stuff on the side, and I didn't want to let go of my lifestyle, and my Mercedes, and my condo on the ocean, and all of these things. And my mom had moved back because my sister had a kid. So I moved back with family. Most humbling season of my life. Mm. God really humbled me. Wow. All right. So go from there. Yeah. Let's go. Taking you guys through the whole journey. It's crazy. So I, it, I'm 22 years old. I moved back to Michigan. You know what, man? I can't, I can't leave this out. Go ahead. Go ahead. God. Come on. You're really getting it all yes. out. Okay. So here's, 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 the, here's the real wrong. I know you got something in there. It's burning to get out. So I had a, I had a safe that I saved up almost $50,000 cash. And uh, I also knew it was like I was able to get out. And I had a, my buddy who was my right-hand man, not Mad Max, but in the business side of things. Yes. And uh, I won't say his name. But uh, I told him, hey, man, like I'm done with this life here, but I'm going to go to Michigan and let's invest our money and let's do it legally. Michigan was medical marijuana. We moved up and we invested a lot of cash and capital up front to build it out legally. And so we had built an operation over several years, had a couple employees, um, and I was making about $80,000 a year when we got it at full capacity off of that after all the overhead and stuff. And I was cushy. I was, I yeah. mean, that's not a lot of money, but like in Michigan, that's like pretty yeah, but in your good. low 20s. Yeah, I'm like young. And man, Jesus is good, dude. I, uh, I'm 24 years old and I have another encounter, just like I had at 18 but in a dream and there was this grassy field and I was walking up this hill. It looks like in my grandfather has 80 acres in the back there's a willow tree at the top and there was this breeze going through and there was this bright light and God spoke to me and said, Cody, you won't let go of the old you. And until you let go of the old you, you'll never become the man that I have created you to be. 3.33 in the morning on March 23rd, I woke up covered in sweat. My shirt didn't have a single dry spot on it. And I got down on my knees and I cried and I repented to God. And I said, God, I don't want to live this life anymore. I said, Jesus, I give you the wheel. I don't want it. And I woke up the next day and I knew what I had to do. And I went up to LJ, or I shouldn't say his name. And uh, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm done with this. How much money to buy you out? And I had $23,700 to my name. And I gave him $23,000. I let him take whatever he wanted from our operation of product. I said, I don't want to wrong you. I don't want to burn the bridge. But we're shutting it all down today. And I did. And I gave him all my money. I had $700 left. I fired who was my best friend, one of my best friends, who hates me still this day because I shut it all down because I had built it. Then I closed it. I shut the lights off. I lost everything. I invested every dime that I had, everything that I built over those years in South Carolina, my real estate business, the timeshare money, the weed money, all of it went into that. Every dime that I had was wrapped up into that. It was a projection for the next five to 10 years to be my my income. It was my business. And uh, I went to my parents and 
I said, I'm done. And they were so happy. Like they'd been waiting and praying yeah. for that moment to happen. Um, that was the toughest, most humbling season of my life. I lost everything. I had to sell my Mercedes. I had to get rid of everything I had that was nice. I just started selling stuff off on Facebook Marketplace. And I went to get a job. And uh, I saw this ad for better advertising professionals in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was about 50-minute drive. It was a bigger city. I kind of wanted to go to the city anyways. And I, I go to this job. I wear a three-piece suit. I go decked out some of the last money that I have. I think I even took out like the store credit card to do it. That's how like low I was on funds. Yeah. And I, I go in and it's, <laughs> it's door-to-door sales for AT&T. Mm. And I'm like, God, is this really what you want me to do? Man, he humbled me, bro. So I took the job knocking doors for AT&T after just closing a very profitable cannabis business that was legal, by the way, guys, completely legal, yep, yep. all above board, everything licensed in the state of Michigan. But God hit me and I knew it wasn't where he called me. Uh, I ended up moving in with my sister through the winter and my brother-in-law. Dude, from where I was at, bro, to living in a basement with your sister. And I remember crying out to God, but God took it all away, stripped me of everything. So I'll stop there because I'm sure you got some stuff yeah. and then we'll keep going. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 because this is going to lead into, like, I can't wait to lead into how you got to where you are now. Like this, this story is incredible. It's an incredible story. Um, all right, so keep just keep going with it. Keep flowing with that. <laughs> All right. And I'll, I think I'm watch. watching my own movie right now. Yeah, dude, totally. <laughs> hey, uh, Netflix, if you want to pick this up, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. I'll, right. I'll narrate it. There we go. That, 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 your voice, bro. I'll That'd narrate. be a good narration. <laughs> yeah. um, so, guys, I was just really humbled, and I started knocking doors, but it was an opportunity I had, and it was a good season for me because I worked uh, six days a week, every day but Sunday, knocking doors. I knocked 80 doors a day. And I got in a routine of getting my life back together. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I was just really focused. I, I was in a men's Bible study group. So I spent, um, I would go really early before work every Wednesday and we would like pray and we'd read the word of God. And I started getting the word in me and uh, I became second in the nation, mm. second in the nation for knocking doors. And I started making pretty good money. I mean, it was a, it was a grind, man. Oh yeah. It was a grind. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's the grind. I, you know, I, I became, I set a record. I had 27 sales in a week knocking doors. Wow. So I was setting records. I got flown in to pick for a conference in Texas for the company. And I went in and I be, got promoted to sales trainer and assistant manager. And I don't know if you've ever seen me at any of the events. Sometimes I wear a gold shark pin. And uh, people always ask me like, hey, why do you have a gold shark pin? It's a great conversation starter, yeah, by the way, guys, like wear a pin that catches people's attention. But the truth is I created a culture of sharks. And I developed this sales team because I knew I needed to motivate these young people to be as motivated as me. So I got 18 karat gold dip shark pins. And if you could get at least 12 sales average in a week, you got pinned with a 18 karat gold shark in our office in front of everyone. And you had to maintain a certain average to keep it. Right. So that was a very important season of my life because I came out of the darkness. I got super humbled. I'm living in my sister's basement to knocking on doors for AT&T to becoming second in the nation for doing that. I've always been a striver. And then I uh, actually, you know, what? I still had the Mercedes. I'm still trying to hold on to that thing. Oh, yeah. And I, of course I was, right? It was, yeah. My identity was wrapped up in it. I had of to learn course. a lot. That was the last thing I had to be like, I once was successful yeah. in all the wrong ways. Yeah. And finally, uh, I knew it was time to let it go. I go into Denoyer Chevrolet in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I meet a guy named David, who's still one of my good friends to this day. Sold me my car. I bought a Malibu. Went super humble. Traded in the Mercedes. And David really liked me. And he's like, bro, you should get a job here. I'm like, I don't want to sell cars. He's like, dude, you're knocking doors. <laughs> he's like, at least you get an office and air conditioning here. And I was like, 
so I remember praying on it, JD, and I'm like, I want to sell God. Like, what is going on here? Like, I, I, I mean, I, I'm all for like giving it all to you, but like, this was not the trajectory I planned on going on. It's the only I didn't go to college, you know. So I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And uh, anyways, I get a job there. I apply. They take me through three interviews. It's like the country club of car dealerships. I'm the youngest guy there, and uh, I start selling cars, and I became pretty good at that too. Now I want to say something because. Wally had mentored me and even through all of these years of doing all of these things, I became a personal development junkie. Mm. I mean, I, I read every think and grow rich yep. compound effect by Darren, like every book that you could read as a man thinketh, like all those different books. I was always developing myself. And it's probably why I was actually successful in those businesses because I was constantly developing Cody and his mindset. And I, I used to like, when Wally passed away, I wanted to be a motivational speaker, JD. Like I was super like, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. And everyone made fun of me and never thought it was going to happen. Even through all those years, I'd been posting videos on the internet. So I'd been putting myself out there inconsistently, you know, right. post some YouTube content, some Facebook videos, this and that before it was cool, before TikTok, before all of this stuff. And uh, so there was a common thread up to this car dealership. And I finally had consistency and stability in my life again, financially, got out of my sister's basement, got my own place, was getting back on track. And I was, uh, I was at a gym and this guy comes up to me and I'd always see him in there. And uh, his name was Jeff. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I see you in here all the time. We, but we were 5.30 a.m. club at the gym. And, uh, you know, there's a certain type of caliber yeah. of people that go in there. Yep. And we get to know him. He's asking about me. And I was like, you know, I'm selling cars right now at Denoyer up the road. He's like, oh, I know the Denoyers. I know Bill and them, this and that. And I was like, but I really want to be a motivational speaker. And I tell this guy this, right? And he, like, pulls out his notepad and he, like, writes in it. He's like, oh, I just like to track who I meet, you know, this and that. And over time, this this guy started nurturing this relationship with me. And one day, he's like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to have this speaking class coming up. And I know you talked about, like, public speaking, like, motivational speaking. Do you want to be a part of it? It won't cost you anything. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to. Like, you know, what's the information? I felt like God was opening a door. So he gets my info. He texts me. I go to meet up. I show up. It's just me and him. And I'm just like, and he's like, oh, man, you know, we had the dates wrong. And so like they had got it wrong. So I was like, okay. And then he's like, you know what though? There's a barbecue with some guys we're hanging out with this weekend um, on Saturday. You should come. And I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to be around good people, JD. Yeah. I go to this barbecue and it's all Christian men and they're barbecuing and they're hanging out and they're older than me and I have a great time. And they're like, hey, you know, you should come to our church, Center Point Church tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'd love to. So I get to church. I'm in church since uh, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. I wasn't going in Michigan. And I walk in and I see Jeff and he shakes my hand. He's like, hey, come sit up by the front, you know, this and that. So I go sit in like the third row back and there were some of the other guys and they came and sat by me. And all of a sudden, Jeff walks up and gets on stage and he's the lead pastor of the entire church. that has been around for a hundred years. <laughs> he's like, never told me he was a pastor. No one ever mentioned he was a pastor, nothing. I had such a profound respect for this man. And... um yeah, it's a wow. So was the whole public speaking thing was that a ploy? No, actually, we I ended up going through the class. It was actually a preaching class. <laughs> he never told me. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah, I took a whole preaching class. Come on, that was like open to anybody and how to prepare a sermon and how to do this and public speaking. And we read different books and I went through his entire class and he leads it. But they need enough people to sign up to do it at the church. Uh but dude, so I mean, you go to church yeah. and he goes on stage. <laughs> There's a guy I met in the gym. 
He never told you. Never once told me it was pastor. Even at the barbecue, no one called him Pastor Jeff. Everyone called him Jeff. And nobody told you at the barbecue, no. hey, by the way, do you know he's a pastor? No, nobody. No. That's crazy. Apparently, the, the church has its own gym. It's pretty well off church, too. Yeah. They have their own gym, but he goes to Planet Fitness. I was working on Planet Fitness of all places to disciple. As a pastor, that's part of like what he feels called to. He finds men Come inside on. of there and he disciples them. Crazy. Yeah. And he's the lead pastor. It'd be like Jurgen going down to the gym. Yeah. And like just me and maybe he does surfing or this or that, right? I don't know. And then like discipling it. Yeah, you should come to this barbecue or this like conference thing. It's kind of cool. And then gets up on stage and he's like the guy running it. That's crazy. All right. Keep going with the, where did that go? Yeah. So, um, this was a really cool point in my life, guys, because we need mentorship, and I knew I needed good mentorship. And I, uh, Jeff approached me, and he was like, hey, man, we do these small groups with men, and we run them every so often, and I've taken a season off of running them for the last few seasons. You know, he's the lead pastor. He's a lot going on. He's like, but I want to run another small group. Um, it's invite only, and I want you to be a part of it. And I'm like young, man, and I'm working at a car dealership, and I'm like, I know it's an honor to be asked by the lead pastor to be in an intimate, like, small group with the lead pastor of a big church. So I, of course, out of respect and honor, like, yeah, I'll be there. And he's like, awesome. It's like 5 a.m., you know, on this day. I'm like, oh, God. So I had to get up super early, like, on this day of the week, like 5 or something. I show up. There's a guy named Wally, actually, a different Wally, who owns a law firm. There is a Michigan State trooper. There's a guy that owns a plumbing business. There's another guy that's like super successful, owns like four companies. There's our lead pastor and there's our executive director. So I think that's six of them and yeah. me. I was the seventh. They're all older than me. They're all prospering in life, like spiritual giants. And I'm like this young dude that's still trying to like get to know the word of God and Jesus. But I had had encounters. Man, that season of my life, we did it for six months changed everything wow man they they like there's this saying like my girlfriend's um father says that like you know read god's word so it can get into you right get into the word so the word can get in you and yeah. flow through you that's where i actually got the word of god in me was through these spiritual giants mentoring me and i got to see guys that are like pastors and stuff and be like you go through the same stuff i go through and i got to see behind the curtain and it just created this unity and relationship where those men, like I went from one Wally as a kid to like seven overnight. Well, you know, so yeah. years later. Wow. And so how did that, that, that just, that was your biggest impact of your entire life. Would you say at that point? Well, I still would say Wally was from yeah, 13. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, there's just something special there. Sure. I would say the second biggest mentorship impact was those guys. And even the stuff I'm sharing with you today Bro, when I, I didn't share this stuff. I was so scared. Like even here on a podcast, like I have my own podcast and interview people yeah. and I've gone and shared my story with the world a lot, but I have not gone this deep ever. There was such a fear that if I tell you guys all of these things about me, that it will disqualify me, that you'll think some type of way. But God uses the things that we think disqualify us right. to qualify us for the calling yes. that he has on our life and the anointing that he has on our life. Those men mentored me and finally made me realize that. Wow. All right, keep going. Oh, man. Where'd you go from there? Yeah. Because um, this is now you're 24, 25-ish. Yes. Yes. That's, that's not exact. that long ago, bro. So how did... What, no, I mean, you know, I'm going. almost 30 now, but yeah, that was... Yeah, I guess... When you're old like you, it's not right. <laughs> yeah, okay. All uh, right. Cut. <laughs> so I, uh, no, it was a really good season of my life. And um, I really just was, I was very involved with my church. I was very involved with my career. I was still selling cars. And then 
I started getting revelation about entrepreneurship again. And I was showing up to the dealership and I, I was doing pretty good for a young guy. So I started making videos again on the internet to grow like my um, car sales. So I started yeah. like, just kind of like, you know what you're doing real deal. I right. put myself out there. I built, so I started personal branding Cody. And all of a sudden people would come into the dealership and they'd be like, hey, is Cody here? Mm. And these sales guys that were there like 25 years were like, you know, someone's in lobby for you. Why are they asking for you? Because it kept happening. Yes. And I'd go out and be like, hey, what's up? I don't know you. And they'd be like, yeah, we saw you on Facebook. And they would come in and buy cars from me. So then I'm, I got I'm handed all the internet leads from the dealership. And, dude, I had a little sweet spot until, of course, the, the OGs were like, no, that's not fair. All the internet leads, they were closing like um, 3% on them. Bro, I got up to closing like 50% on internet leads, making so much money in cars. And internet sale. leads are considered the people that are coming in from your videos or just are you so, talking about So we ones? had personal brand. Then the dealership was doing some internet stuff too. Correct. Yeah. But their back end and they, they didn't know how to handle it or communicate with them. They were getting dropped. All the sales guys didn't want the internet leads because they didn't work out for them. So they put it off and they had this call center and they weren't converting. And I went to my um, sales director and I said, give me the internet leads. Give them all Forget to me. Forget it. And then they were like, no. And they were like arguing against it. I said, fine, I won't take ups. So there's a round robin ups rotation at the dealership when people come in. We weren't like other dealerships, very country club style. I said, I will sacrifice all of my ups. Just give me the internet leads. And they're like, all right, dummy. And I'm like, all right, watch, bet. And I go in and I just start working everyone. I started sending them videos, customized videos, started following the people on social media. I'd find the name. I'd look them up on Facebook. I'd friend them. I'd post content every day. I'd walk around the dealership. I'd talk about the product. Then I started giving motivational messages and my business started thriving, bro. Come on, dude. Yeah. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is fire right here because this is everybody right now has the opportunity to build a personal brand and then tie it into business. Keep going. Most valuable asset you can ever have is a personal brand because people buy people. That's right. Not products and Correct. services. They buy people. I will buy a mattress from JD because I've bought into JD. That's right. Sure. You have the 100%. best mattress product, all that yeah. knowledge. No, no. I know, like, and trust JD. Therefore, I want to do business with JD. I want my resources to go to JD, not some other mattress company because that personal brand. Yep. So yep. That, that is valuable. And you can take it with you anywhere, guys. That's right. So that Everywhere. car dealership couldn't take away Cody Cottle's personal brand because even when I carried in, you guys are about to learn about, that brand carried with me. Yes. Those customers, those clients did business with me in my own businesses. All right, keep going with the with the, with what happened with the OGs when you just <laughs> started closing. They got, Were they just hating on you? Or they just oh man, just going I this? got so much. My entire life, I've always been the young, youngest guy in your podcast, young guy, Salesforce. Everywhere I go, and I'm, I've always been the young guy, the overlooked, the the underlooked, the you know everybody yeah. talk crap about. And I've just had to hard head it and work through it. But then I started making money. When money talks, oh, yeah. and and they results. Then of course they had pull. They'd been there, yeah. Results um, talk. So then the internet leads started getting split up again. And then our closing percentage went way down, but they wouldn't revert it back to just me. Now so, why? Hold on, let me let me jump in. Why would the guys who are running that dealership not just say, "Dude, we're onto something here." This dude is always going to get the internet leads. Not only that, let's have him start training our crew on how to close it. And like, I tried to do that. This is where I started butting heads with corporate America again. It's happened mm. a few times. Politics. Politics. It's always politics. 
it's a country club dealership. These guys have massive books of business. They have great relationship. They have dinner with dealer. Like they've, they've no, their kids grew up together. So I was, yeah, this is working, but so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so have a lot of pull here and have the biggest books of business here and they're not happy. So things had to get reverted. Then this other guy, and I don't ever talk, I don't want to talk bad, but I, was, I won't drop names. He was trying to sell our dealers on doing training on that stuff. And I'm this young guy who always wanted to be this speaker, this trainer, this coach, this consultant, but felt like my words didn't have weight yet. I was still proving that. So he ends up closing our dealer principal on like a program that he developed to educate and train. And I was so furious, dude. They took away my leads from me. They gave me a couple a week. The closing percentage dropped down. It was completely political. And to be honest, I started to develop a little bit of an attitude. I was frustrated. Mm. I was like, well, I don't, why am I selling cars? I don't even want to do this. And that was so good for me because that pain and that discomfort and that unfairness, life's not fair, gave me drive to go back into my dreams and my visions. And I went home that night after that decision was made and I created a new vision board. And I began getting to work, JD. I got back in the lab. Mm. And I had this brand I'd been developing called CSC Inspires, Cody Schuyler Cottle Inspires, inspired by Eric Thomas. ET mm. Inspires yeah, is his brand. Yeah. yeah. And I'd followed him and all these greats and always knew God gave me this anointing, this gift of communication. And I, I was so tired of using it for, for just sales. I was so fed up. I was so frustrated. I felt like, you know, you get so far with it. And then just like that, politics just change everything. And I was like, God, I, there's no way you delivered me from all that just to be at a car dealership. And they were trying to groom me. They, you know, F and I is like the next step up and I can make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And they were trying to groom this young guy to have this path to stay with them, which I would too. I mean, as a business right. owner, you want to keep and retain good employees. Well, I was like, no, I'm going to be a motivational speaker. So I started putting videos out bef like every single day. I would even record them at the dealership on my lunch break. I'll go out back and we had my buddy, um, Eli. He was six foot tall, black dude. He worked in car detail and he was my boy. And we'd go out there and he was super motivational. I was motivational and he'd be recording me and I'd be recording him. We put motivational videos out. Whole dealerships, I'm laughing stock. They're all making fun <laughs> of me. They're all laughing at me. Oh, Mr. Motivational Speaker over there and people this and that. I was like, just watch. And I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I kept doing it and I built a personal brand and I had this crazy moment, dude. I'll never forget it. It was my days off and I go into this grocery store. It's like a Kroger and uh, the lady bagging my bags or the check. She's like, oh my God, you're that 30 sec motivation check guy. She's like, I love your videos. First time like a fame, right? First time anybody's ever said anything about my content. And uh, it felt so cool, man, to know, like, I asked her name and I wrote it down in my phone in the notes on the iPhone and I went into Facebook. We weren't even friends. And I looked through like likes, you know, I'm clicking on like the nine likes on the video and I'm like, <laughs> she on there? She one of them? <laughs> like comments? Nowhere. Then God gave me this revelation, just because someone doesn't engage with your content doesn't mean they're not watching Correct. their content. Yes. And that gave me a, an extra fuel, an extra motivation mm. that's not about likes, it's not about comments, it's about that lady in the grocery store. I can't remember your name, I'm so sorry, but know you impacted my life because because of you, I kept going when it got tough. Wow. Because of her, I knew there was hers in the world, that, that my video was impacting their life, and that if I didn't show up that day, who suffers? Then I got a, then it started coming in, man. I had a video go viral. Dude, I, I, I love this, by the way. Okay. I'm, I'm stopping this real quick. 
because you don't know how many times I've had this revelation and this thought, like, because I'm so, there's a lot of times I don't get engagement, I don't get likes, and I'm like, man, that was good stuff right there. But then I'll run into people out and about everywhere and people will come up to me at the gym at the church i couldn't get to my seat the other day because eight people pulled me aside that saw the jurgen interview they wanted to talk to me about it but i didn't see them on the comment section i didn't see them yeah. they're watching i'm like wait they're a watching. minute and that's what i say in my podcast in the beginning hit me up dm me Tell me if you something hit you, even if it's like, dude, I love that, whatever, because that's what keeps us going, knowing that while we're sleeping, we're impacting this world in a positive way. While we're sleeping, our videos are working yeah. to impact the kingdom, right? Yeah, that's so good. Right? So that story right there is, guys, listen up, because there's so many people that are on social media that are firing away with content consistently for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. And you see them, dude, they drop off. They come and go. They come and go because they're not getting the likes. They're not getting the comments. You gotta keep going no matter what because people are watching. This day and age, everybody's way too busy to hit a like. They're way too busy to comment. That yeah. doesn't mean they're not watching. Mm. Keep going, dude. I'm so glad you told that story right there. Powerful. No, it's so true, JD, because... Well, there's a few things we could dive into on that, to be honest, even consistency and stuff. And I'd love to end up there and talking about yes. that because there's a consistent theme of consistency through my life. Yep. But I'll also say, um, as that started going on, I did have a video go mini viral. It wasn't like, I, guys, here's here's the truth. I didn't get millions of followers. Right. I, I, you know, I didn't make millions of dollars. I, over time, got tens of thousands of people that bought into Cody. And knew Cody, liked Cody, and trusted Cody. And JD, I started, um, I just was really motivational. And I started speaking from the heart. And I stopped caring what other people think about yeah. me. And that lady gave me some fuel. But then these messages started coming. Because a lot of my message before I was so in the entrepreneurship was more just speaking to you being the best version of you. That there yes. will never be another you in the yes. world. And I, I got this message one day from this guy. And he said, you have no idea that your video just saved my life today. And uh, I won't say his name because we've talked, but he was going to commit suicide. Mm. And he watched my video and he didn't. And we got, and he messaged me and opened up and shared this paragraph with me. And I got a moment to converse with this guy, get on the phone with him, speak life into him and pray for him. And we have kept in contact for years. I believe he's married now. He has a kid on the way. Like I've watched him through social media. We converse now and then. Who suffers if we don't show up? Mm. You know, there's a level as a man, you're a provider, you're a protector, you're a prophet for your family. And there's a level of who suffers if you don't show up to real deal sleep? Who suffers if you don't put in the work and build your business? But even what you're doing with content, even this podcast, who suffers if JD decided not to want to get up today, didn't feel like it, didn't feel like coming down here, recording this podcast, taking time out of his day, investing his money, investing your resources. Who suffers if Cody coddled and feel like it today and made an excuse and JD, I got a lot going on. I think about the person that listens to this, that never would have heard this, never would have had the impact that we may never even know about right. had we not showed up. Yep. hundred percent. So that's, I just wanted to, I went on a, a tangent there, guys. So this, this is happening with me and I'm putting out these videos. And then I joined this Facebook group called the Billion Dollar Brotherhood. And my buddy had, uh, he kept like nagging on me. He's like, man, you got to join this Facebook group. This guy, Nicholas, you got to check him out. Like, it's really cool. He's got like this mastermind. 
And I'm like, yeah, I've, I know a lot of guys like that. You know, I'm good. I'm running in my lane right now. I'm making my content. I'm impacting lives. I'm selling cars. I'm finding fulfillment. God's going to open big stages up for me. So I get in this Facebook group and I'm just watching this guy. Simultaneously, around the same time, I get a DM from a guy named Glenn because he saw me on social media. And Glenn says, hey, man, I've been following you for a while now, and I really like your content and what you're speaking. Can we grab coffee? And I look at his profile, business owner, successful, married, kids. Okay, this is somebody. You know, I, I'm definitely going to give him yeah. my time. So we go have coffee. I think at Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> Shout out to the Dunk. Shout out Dunkin' Donuts. Mm. And uh, we, um, we get talking. He said, hey, man like, what would you charge to come speak to my employees and my team? We're going to do this event. We want, we want you to come in and be our uh, keynote speaker. Man, I've been dreaming of being a motivational speaker. I've been doing stuff. And then finally, it's like the moment's in front of me and you just say yes. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. And he's like, uh, so like, how much do you want? And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, I'll do it for free. I'll pay you to do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I literally was like, dude, I just want to serve. Just give me 80 bucks. <laughs> I don't know why. 80 I said, bucks? <laughs> bro. <laughs> that cover the gas? Barely. So I got paid 80 bucks to do my first official keynote talk. And um, it was called Just Becoming the Best Version of You. I was very new into the motivational speaking space. And I worked my butt off and I, I prepared um, the most amazing just um, speech that I, I still this day is one of my favorite because it came from a heart. And it was that opportunity that this man that saw me on social media finally gave me to speak into a room of 80 people still one of my favorite memories to this day. Wow. But I want to say something else that I've never shared because in life we get breaks, but in life we also make mistakes mm -hmm. and there are setbacks and there are downfalls and there are pitfalls. And in times those pitfalls can be the very reason you don't show up to the opportunity to become great in your life. And here's what happened to me. This was November like 18th or something was this event. And October 27th, I took a girlfriend of mine up to hike waterfalls in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I've never talked about this public. And uh, we were drinking wine and we've been hiking waterfalls all day and we were driving back and we both fell asleep in the car. And my car crashed into the trees in the wilderness. And uh, I woke up in a hospital to a Michigan state trooper um, telling me I'm lucky to be alive, that God protected me and her that I'm lucky my girlfriend's not dead because of me and I have alcohol in my blood and they're charging me with a DUI. Mm. And I've never talked about this, but what the heck? You guys have heard it all Let's today. Go. And uh, that was two weeks before I had to give this first opportunity to speak. I was a wreck, man. It was the hardest moment of my life. This is the same time I had these, um, the pastor and the small group in my life. If it wasn't for those men, I never would have showed up on that stage mm. because I went to them and I was so defeated, JD. And I, and you know, I was the guy that was careful with drinking. I felt like out of all the people I knew in my life, it felt like it was so unfair. Like I was like, man, I have so many friends that are alcoholics and partiers. Why me, God? Why do I have to be the one to get in the car crash, total my car and get a DUI? Like I was so, and then it just the regret and the remorse. And I thought about my girlfriend at the time and, you know, Katie could have died because of me and I love her and like all these emotions going on. And I went to these guys and I was just like, I don't deserve this. Like, I know I, I don't deserve the opportunity to right. speak on stage. Yeah. Who would listen to me? I don't have a right to do that. Like I'm a failure as a man. 
Like I have just, and uh, it was this thing and they poured into me, man, and really showed me how God will even use the mistakes that we make in our life to build our life. And what's really cool is that woman stood by my side and helped pick me back up. And I put a suit on that day and I went to that event and I changed 80 people's lives Mm. while walking through a DUI charge two weeks before with a totaled car. Like I had to borrow a family's car just to go to this event. So that was, that was a huge break for me, but we can pause there if you have any questions, but I've never shared that publicly guys. I was so ashamed to ever share that I've had a DUI in my record, um, the drug dealing, all the different things in my past. And people look at me now and I'm successful and I own three companies and I have an amazing life, but I want you guys to understand that along the way I've hit wall after wall. But I've just never given up and kept going. And I've let God, I've surrendered it to him, use these difficult moments in my life to become building blocks and foundations to build the life I have now. And I'm sure there will be more walls. Oh, yeah. And and talk about the how important was it to have that group of guys around you when that happened? Did they, did they pour into you to, to, hey, stay with it? Dude, like you don't understand. I mean, think about it. I have a lead pastor. I have a guy who's an attorney and a Michigan state trooper who was a canine unit. Those three men individually, like all took me to lunch individually and hearing from my pastor from a perspective of God, because I felt like I just let God down. Like I was a failures man. And the way that he really poured into me, then talking to the attorney and like him being real and vulnerable with me and, and, you know, also giving me legal advice and stuff, but also like Cody, that could have been me. Like I've been in scenarios in my life where that, that could have been our pastor. That could have been, you know, these guys who are so prominent, who I look up to so much saying, what happened to you? You made those choices. You made those decisions and you have to own the consequences. But understand, none of us are oblivious to that. That could have been any of us at points in our lives too. And this like helping me like get past this like feeling of like I'm the only one right. that made such a big mistake when I'm trying to be great like these men. I'm trying to surround myself by these men. And they lifted me up and they believed in me and they poured into me and they helped me realize like, hey, man, this is just a setback in your life. What matters now is how are you going to move forward from this? What are you going to learn from this? And then, and wow. All right. So keep going now. After that monumental speech, or your first public speaking motivational speech, right? Yeah. So go on from there. Yeah. So it was, it was amazing and there was content and... I launched full force into CSE Inspires. And then I had told earlier about this Facebook group. Well, I started learning about like these coaches and like these masterminds and stuff. And uh, I ended up investing like several thousand dollars to be a part of this virtual mastermind with all Christian men business owners. And I would meet with them on Zoom twice a month. And there was a guest speaker that would come in. And then there was like mastermind calls and brotherhood. And I began, um, I've always just been like, a doer. So there was like 80 guys in this group. So I booked one-on-one Zoom calls with every dude. So I did one-on-one with every mm. single guy inside of this mastermind to get to know them, to learn from them, to serve them, to pour. I didn't even know what my business was yet, but I knew I was called the marketplace. I knew I was called the entrepreneurship. I knew I wasn't going to sell cars the rest of my life. I knew how to make content. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to build relationships and learn from these guys. And by building all of that relational equity, um, there's, uh, some of the best things in life are caught, not taught. I started to catch what they had and I started to figure it out. So I ended up launching a new company called motivation, everything. And I launched this company and I first had like $20 coffee mugs that were like, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. And I had like these 
shirts and coffee mugs and I was like selling merch. And I remember my mentor, I invested in his mastermind. He's like, oh, you, you think you're going to build a six figure business selling $20 coffee mugs? You know, he's like kind of, <laughs> and I was like, I don't really know. You know, I just, I, I know I want to be, I, you know, I feel called to be like a Tony Robbins, like an Eric Thomas, and I'm just going to keep doing this and God's going to open the pathways. He's like, that's great. Mm. And that's true. And I see that calling in your life, but there's this thing called business strategy too. Yeah. And you should probably learn it. And you're investing a lot of money with us and, you know, we'll help you figure that out. So I, I built my own mastermind and JD, I... I was flying to these events. I was learning about it. I was putting together curriculum and material and developing things and how I would walk someone through the journey um, to become the best version of themselves. Yeah. Then I hit this huge pitfall and I was like, oh my God, I'm not a guru. Who am I? You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, who am I yeah. to like coach people, especially older than me? Because most of my clients are going to be older than me. I'm a young dude. And uh, he, my mentor came to me and he said, have you ever seen the movie um, Catch Me If You Can? with Leonardo DiCaprio. And, uh, you know, he, he fakes being an airline pilot. He fakes being an attorney, a college professor. It's a true story. Yeah. And then he ends up working for the government to catch people like fraud checks right. and stuff. And uh, it's a great movie, guys. So if you guys recall, there's an actual interview. You can go look it up with this guy. And the news interviewed him and said, how were you able to pass a college bar exam, be an airline pilot, actually fly planes, by the way. <sighs> and, um, but then they're like, and how are you a college professor? He was a college professor for multiple months, guys. <laughs> like literally like faked teaching college kids, paying tuition and taught in like, I can't remember what class it was. And he said, it's easy. He said, I'll tell you about the college professor one. All I had to do was be one chapter ahead. That's so, it. so my mentor told me that. He said, Cody, you don't got to be a guru. You don't need to know A to Z. If you've been from point A to point B, and you can help someone at point A, get to point B, help that person. And in the process, you'll probably learn how to go to point C, then help them get to point C. So I finally was like, I just need things to make sense in my head to go all in. I was like, I get it. Light bulb moment. I have been through a point A to point B. You guys have heard my life today. Yeah. I can help person at point A get to point B. And I, <laughs> I went to San Diego, man. I flew in here for an event. I met some amazing guys. And I, uh, I told this friend of mine, I want to launch this coaching business. And he's like, Hey man, come out to San Diego. I'll help you launch it. You can launch it and go live in my living room. So the plan was this, I started a Facebook group called motivation, everything. Every day I would invite the max amount of people to the Facebook group. I'd post content every single day. And I built this incubator of people, motivating people to be the best version of themselves. And I had 2,300 people in there that watched my content every day that loved Cody and loved what Cody had to say. And the different people that I had in the group that were kind of like leaders. Yep. I go on a Facebook live to this group. I announced it two weeks in advance. I sent DMs out to everyone in the group and was like, hey, I'm going live on this day. Make sure you sign up for it. You don't miss it. I'm going to share something with the world that I've never shared before. Be there. And I go live and there are 83 people, which was a lot for a Facebook yeah, live, I yeah, felt like, you know, is. with the following I had. And uh, I, I told my whole story a condensed version of what I told you today. Yeah. I talked about my father in prison. I talked about drug dealing. I talked about the mistakes that I make, the the pitfalls, the things that I've overcome, what I've learned along the journey and how I've become a better version of the man that I am today. I got what's called a vulnerability hangover. Even probably will get it after this podcast. When right. you get a super vulnerable and you share things and you get done, you go, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> Everyone knows, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you get like sick to your stomach. Like, did I just make the worst mistake of my life? 
So you're supposed to like pitch and online. I've gotten really good at this now, but back then I didn't know how to freaking sell from stage or online. I had an application funnel, do a jot form to apply for motivation, um, everything, uh, mastermind or something like that. And uh, I got off and I told my friends, I was like, I'm an idiot. Why did I do that? <laughs> and my phone starts going, ba-beep, 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 application submitted, application submitted, application submitted. And what I didn't tell you guys was I, I skipped a part. I quit my job. So I quit the car dealership yep. before I was making money. I don't tell everybody this. Yeah. And I was living off of my savings. And I came out to San Diego, California. I had $300 to my name at the time. And there's a whole nother God story with like a homeless guy. And we were praying over him. And then he asked if he could pray over us. And he, God spoke to me while he was praying to me. And God told me that to give him the $100 bill I had in my money clip. And I only had like $208 in my bank account. This was right before we did the live. And I gave that guy that $100. 23 applications uh, came in, or actually more than that. We closed uh, $23,000 in sales inside of my buddy's living room in San Diego, California over the next three days for a new business that I created because of that personal brand that I built. Because of the personal brand. Oh, man. All right, keep going. Yeah, so that was- now you're in San Diego. All right, I was wondering when we're going to get here. Yeah, so we're, we're here. Actually, I didn't live here yet. I was out here visiting oh. for two weeks when I launched the business. So I, I had made money, all right? It was a big deal like in my business to like make money like that. Not illegally, not selling cannabis, you yeah. know? And I- I go back to Michigan and I began coaching and I began growing this business and I grew the business to, I don't know, like 150 grand a year, which uh, dude, at that point, I'm like, I'm working for my computer. I don't work for anyone else. So what do you do? I start traveling, start going to the US Virgin Islands, working on my laptop, living that entrepreneur, backpackpreneur life. And uh, it was an amazing season of my life. But then I went to this mastermind in Waco, Texas, and I met this na former Navy SEAL named Yost Jansen. And uh, he ran us through Navy SEAL workout. Still this day, one of the worst workouts I've ever done in my entire life, um, which you'll see I had a lot more with him. Yeah. And uh, it was when Texas got that winter storm a few years ago. And uh, there was this long, rocky driveway to this ranch that we were staying at in Waco, Texas. And we had to do a mile of lunges. And there was snow on the ground on rocks. And it was the worst thing, dude. It was so bad. Like there were guys like quitting and this and that. And this Navy SEALs like there with us, doing it with us, like watching us. And I just pushed through. I finished first. I looked down. I didn't realize it because I was just delusional from the pain. My knees were all cut open from the rocks. I had blood just dripping down into my socks. My, my legs were covered in blood. And I went back to the last guy and I finished with him. He was throwing up. He had eaten bananas before, like a dummy. And he was puking everything up because this workout was that bad. And uh, that Navy SEAL respected me because of that. And later that night we had a conversation and we really bonded. And he asked why I was like, I'm living in Michigan. I love San Diego. I'd love to move there someday. Man, month and a half later, I'm like, I'm in this feeling. I'm like, I don't belong in Michigan. Like my people aren't here. I want to move. And I was looking at like Texas because a lot of my friends were moving to Texas, even the California people yeah, moving out there. Right. West Palm Beach, Florida, I had connections. Um, but I also was looking at San Diego because I had connections. And I'm like, God, I know you're calling me to move somewhere. Just help show me where you want me to go. Take me where you want to take me and use me how you want to use me. And I have my business. I'm making money. I don't want to be there. Next day, I get a phone call from a random number and it's Yost Jansen. He's like, hey, I got your number from Nicholas and I remember you from that event and I remember you saying you want to move to San Diego. So here's the deal. I have a big house. I rent out the rooms. We just had one open and we'd love to have you live with us. Just straightforward with me. 
just random call right after I prayed. And I just, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, I'll take it. He's like, you don't want to see it? I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. I just want to get out of here. And he's like, shows me a video of it, FaceTime. And I was like, cool. And I Venmoed him the deposit right then and there. I call my mom. My mom starts bawling. Our relationship's better at this point. Yeah. And uh, I sold everything I own besides what fit in my car. And I have a husky named Zeus. We drove across the country. Zeus? Zeus. Yeah. Just, I know a cat has a Zeus. I have a Zeus. That's crazy. That is crazy. You guys know this? Yeah. All right, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to get them together. what? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I moved to San Diego and I lived with uh, a Navy SEAL for my first um, year and a half, two years out here. And that was one of the most transformational times in my life. Guys, this was only three, three and a half years ago. Not long. And uh, I went all in, man. Like I went all in when I moved out here. Within two weeks, uh, three people told me about Awaken Church. The third time, it, it actually took a pretty girl to get me to go to Awaken Church. I was downtown. Now, as you can imagine, after the DUI and all that, I, I didn't drink. I didn't drink for three years. And I was super clean. I was super focused on business. I worked out with a Navy SEAL every single day. I was building my business. I was crushing it. We were launching a new company. And I, um, I was praying over our food at Barley Mash downtown San Diego. And our waitress, Heather Shu, had seen me and she's like, I just want to say it's really cool to see, you know, young guys like you, like we're like same age, like praying over their food. Everyone else is getting trashed around us, downtown San Diego, yeah. Friday night. We're there having a brotherhood meeting. This same guy launched the business out of his living room. And she's like, what church do you go to? I'm like, I've been in San Diego two weeks. I'm actually looking for a church. And she's like, well, you should come to Awaken. Really pretty girl. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll be there. <laughs> You know, so I go and uh, my life was transformed, wow. man. Which one did you go to, Balboa? Balboa. That's home. I, I live in Carlsbad and I still, now I go to Bayho. I launched the new campus. Yeah. So, and, and what was her name again? Sorry. Heather Shue. Heather. Shout she, out to Heather. Heather. You changed my life. Heather Shue. <laughs> Brought him to Awaken. She's yep. still going to Balboa, I'm assuming. She is. We're really good friends. Oh, that's great. And uh, yeah, you know, and go ahead. So did you know first, first, so first time you came into Awaken, talk to me about your first first service what happened yeah guys you know what's crazy is i knew when i was driving to san diego california with my dog in the car god gave me such peace and clarity he said now i'm ready for you to become that man Mm. you know in the past there was two moments at 18 and 24 where i encountered god and god kept telling me let go of the old you so you can become the man i've called you to be that moment of leaving Michigan with my dog was the moment I felt like God finally spoke to me. Now you've given it all to me. Now I will build you. And I got here and dude, I feel like I'm strapped to a rocket ship, man. I found awaken. I mean, just on the drive out here, guys, like I was a little worried too. I was like, you know, I'm making money, this and that. We launched this new thing. I I get a phone call on the drive out and I made a $5,000 paid in full sale driving out here that day. And I just had such a peace. Like God showed me, like I was kind of like worried and he's like, you're under my covering. I got you. And I came out here and you asked about awaken. I walked into that service. I have never felt the presence of God. Like I felt at awaken Balboa, my first service. Mm. I mean, I think Pastor John was preaching the Come hammer. On. Come on, Pastor you, and John. You know he's been on the podcast. So John Heinrich's been on the podcast. Look it up. The freaking interview's insane. <sighs> insane. Yep. Go. And Pastor John's a the friend and a mentor and my pastor now. And guys, I uh, it was a Sunday. It rocked me. It rocked me. I knew. Like, JD, we're 20 minutes in. I think we're even around when they're talking about money, which everyone gets yes. turned. And I was that was the moment I was like, oh, I can get behind this church. 
They're not afraid to talk about money. Yes. They're not afraid to talk about building the kingdom, taking dominion. These are the people yes. I want to be around. Prosperity. Which is so funny because that's like the time everybody else gets pushed away. I'm pulling my phone out like, I'm giving money I'm right in. now. Like right now, I'm all in. And uh, yeah, so I get done and they talked about Pathfinder night, which was Monday the next night. And I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I want to go to this Pathfinder night. I walk out there and they tell me the details and I sign up on the brush fire or whatever. And I show up the next day. I'm like, Man, I'm 17 days in San Diego probably. And I go to Pathfinder night. I walk in. They got the giant charcuterie board. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm just like, I don't know anybody. And then Erin Q walks up to me. And she's super friendly. And it's so funny if you guys know Erin Q, her and Jeff. And she's like, oh, are you single? And I'm like, is this girl about to hit on me? She's like, you got to meet my husband. We have like a ministry and we help Christian singles. And uh, she introduces me to Jeff Q. <laughs> and uh, I get to know them. And they're some of my best friends to this day, JD. And then they introduce me to Daniel Wilgenbush. Yeah. Then they introduce me to Melissa Higginbottom. Mm. I don't know who anybody is. And then Melissa and them are like, oh, come sit with us in the front row. Is my second day ever going to awaken thing. They bring me to the front Pastor John was the guest speaker at the Pathfinder night. I get put in there, and um, Melissa Higginbottom, Daniel, they're like, hey, you can sit in the front row, but we have one rule. You just got to be really loud. And I was like, I could do that. And they take me up there, and I'm just watching the pastor I just watched preach the night before speak at an entrepreneurship night and and talk about his past and um, pro baseball and real estate and all of these things and God calling you to the marketplace. And that that was it. Like, there was, I'm all in. Wow. What are the odds of that, that you stumble on a Pathfinder night? Of all the Sundays I could go. They only do them a couple times a year. That's it. Yeah. Like twice. That's it. Because that's that's right up your alley. Right up my alley. Right up. So what year was, was this? 2021? This is not. This is only a couple years ago, yeah? Yeah. It might be 2020 or 2021. Yeah. Because if it was 21, that I most likely was probably there as well. Most yeah. likely. Okay. I, I think got, it was 21. Because I got here in 20. I got to awaken in 20. Yeah. All right, keep going. Keep, go from there. Yeah, you're supposed to give me questions. I'm just kidding. I know. No. Well, <laughs> I, we're good here, though. We got the... Yeah, so so I'm... Supposed <laughs> to give me questions. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. I've been talking... Oh. Pathfinder night, second time at Awaken. I was asking about your Awaken journey. How'd that go? Then where did that traject from there? Yeah, and guys, here's what I'll say. Um, I was really cool, too, because I, I went up like a month and a half into Awaken. I was all in. I'm going to church every weekend. I'm building community and friendships. I got invited to some game nights. I'm beginning to like dive in. And uh, someone prayed over me. I don't remember who. I went up to the altar, though, and I just really felt like, you know, I just want to hear from God right now. And uh, this person didn't even know me. And this is, you know... One thing about Awaken is we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, right? Yeah, we operate yeah. in the prophetic, and we see people get healed and people set free. And that's still kind of new to me. Like, I've been a part of churches, but in the way we operate, like, we operate in authority and power. And this individual is praying over me with propheticness of knowing things about my life that nobody should know. And he begins to speak to, he's like, I feel like, you know, you know all your life you've been a transplant. And how you've moved from place, and I have, JD, my whole life. I always bounce yeah. around in survival mode. And he's like, God has finally called you to your garden. And he said, I see you planting your roots. And in, and even beyond Awaken in San Diego. And as your roots grow deep and they grow wide, you will be solid, you will be planted, you will be firm, and you will have fruit in all areas of your life. And it just like gave me this piece of knowing like, God, my whole life I've been searching for like, who are my people? What is my community? Where do I belong? And I finally felt like for the first time in my life, I wasn't searching anymore. And I still to this day 
feel that same feeling. And I went all in. And, you know, I did, uh, so there was, ministry has been a big part of my life the last few years in Marketplace. Those are really the two places I've just been all in on. With Awaken, I went through DNA. I I got done. Jeff was the coach of the high team. And I'm like, Jeff, I'll serve wherever you need me to. He's like, man, I really need help on the 8.30 a.m. high team. No one wants to, like, serve that one as much. I was like, cool, I'm there. And I just served faithfully, never missed a service at all, 8.30 a.m. high team. And I began to see fruit in my life by serving the church. I never served in that capacity yeah. at a church before. I, I mean, in barefoot with my community service and I got very involved, I guess I did do quite a bit there. But this was different. Like God told me, just go in and be humble and serve this church, serve your leaders. And let me work through them to you. And I will prosper your life. Then I get asked like, hey man, will you help co-lead the team? I stepped up and I became a co-lead on this team. A um, little more responsibility, a little yeah. bit there earlier, pouring into people, being a mentor, praying for people, um, logistical stuff on the back end. And then I get a call one day, months later, and he's like, man, you've been really faithful. Thank you. Will you, will you step up and run the 10 a.m., the busiest service? We don't have another lead. You're going to have to lead it by yourself. And I'm like, done, I'll be there. Whatever you need, Jeff, I'll do it. And I step in and I lead faithfully with that team. We turned it around. We got it healthy. We got it strong. We built up leadership in it. Then I got um, a call that was like, hey, man, um, you know, we really want to expand our family and we want to replace ourselves as coaches over this volunteer team. It's one of the biggest volunteer teams at Awaken and we need the right person. And you're the only person we can think of to step into this. Mm. Will you step into it? And I'm like, I'll be there. Now, guys, keep in mind simultaneously I'm growing a multi six-figure business, launch another company. I'm in the marketplace. I'm working like 80 hours a week, like crushing it in business, but I'm always faithful in ministry with right. whatever my church yeah. needs. Yep. And I step into that and I took over coaching. It was a really cool season too because I got asked to give the Emerge message at um, Balboa on the big stage and I, and I gave an Emerge testimony because God encountered me at our Emerge yeah. Men's Conference. And I actually got rebaptized again by Jeff Q at Emerge. Wow. One year later from being baptized, Jeff asked me to be a co-captain of Emerge. One year later on the way to the next Emerge, um, Pastor John and Jeff Rakowski asked if I will be an Emerge captain. Mm. And I took in stepping into leading a team of, we had almost 50 men last year at yep. Emerge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so my awakened journey has been that I've been all in, I've been obedient, I've been serving them. And I think it's interesting because people look so much at volunteering and being a part of your church as just what the church wants from you. Right. But what I've realized has been actually the opposite of that by being obedient and serving my church, it's transformed me as a man. hundred percent, dude. I'm, I'm, my journey is very, very, very similar. I've just said, yes, I'm in. You need to do Pathfinder. Okay, cool, I'm in. And now I've been a Pathfinder leader for four seasons. Come on. And the amount of lies, like tonight, uh, six hours every Tuesday. That's a lift. That's a lift. But you do it. With all that we're doing, right? And and so you went through Pathfinders. I didn't even mention that. Um, So guys, I went to that Pathfinder night. I did join Pathfinders. JD won Warlord the season before mine. I got to see something that I'm really blessed. Like when you're applying for Pathfinders, you're not supposed to like go to the graduation Mm. unless you're like a spouse of somebody that's graduating. And uh, my buddy Noah had me as his plus one at Colin and Melissa's and they let it slide. Like we got it okayed. Bro, I saw like you guys graduating and the excellence and like, dude, I was like, oh yeah, this this is for me. That's right. That's the season I won the Warlord. You crushed it bro yeah dude yeah. and I, they first didn't let me in i was denied for the program at first because i was so new no one knew who i was oh dang so i was de- declined but then dr matt said no no i'm gonna vouch for him so they let me in because of dr matt 
Wow. He vouched for me. Yeah. Come on. He said, he called me up. He said, I just need you to win Warlord. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, you don't know what that means? I'm like, no, I have no idea. I don't even know what Pathfinders is. I didn't even know what it was, bro. Didn't even know what it was. When I, when, I, when I applied, I said, I'll apply. I don't have a resume. I've been working for myself for 20 years. I had to come up with a resume <laughs> <laughs> to apply. And I remember going through the resume and going, man, I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. But anyway, okay, let's land the plane, dude. I yep. want to land the plane with your current day because we're just about there. Um, what you're flowing with, your business, what's our society, personal brand. Let's, I like this personal brand thing because everybody that's listening and watching, watching, they can do that. Right, they have all yeah. access to a personal brand. So keep let's land the plane with that into your current business lead flow, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So guys, here's the thing: all the way back from the dealership and making those videos and building my personal brand, and you heard the story how I launched Motivation Everything, how I made my first six figures in business was purely because of the content that I was posting. In the process of doing that. A lot of people started coming to me for advice about personal brand. Mm. So I launched a second company called Maverick Media in the same season of Awaken. And I launched a marketing agency. And I had the two companies. I had Motivation Everything. It was my first profitable. I had Maverick Media. We rebranded that company to Content Daily. Content Daily, okay. And I began working with mm. entrepreneurs all around the world, JD, on the philosophy. And I did it different. Like I taught them people by people. Right. And you have to put yourself right. out there consistently and leverage the tools and the resources and the right systems and the right processes to be omnipresent and omni-channeled because people will buy into you. And I don't care what you sell, whether yeah. it's mattresses or high-ticket coaching, people need to know, like, and trust you to do business with you. And I shut down Motivation Everything because the agency was growing so fast and I hadn't learned how to build the proper teams around both companies yet. It was still very reliant on Cody Cottle that I shut down this business, which was my true big dream and passion of pouring in people to build this thing that was just taken off like a rocket ship. So I was all in on that and we were doing like agency model where it's like guys like JD, like I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to work with you. I'm going to consult you. I'm going to coach you. And my agency team's going to do all the content, all the chopping up, similar to like these content yep. guys. And we did that model. Then I launched out the educational branch because I love education. I love pouring into people. And I began developing educational product, products, um, courses, coaching programs, high ticket, mid ticket, low ticket. And I began to sell these courses and curriculum and I started crushing it. Then one of my clients came to me. He was a loan officer and he said, bro, if I fill a room full of realtors, will you come speak? And I was like, heck yeah, I'll come speak. And I'm getting ready for that. And my mentor, the same guy that told me about A to B, yeah, he right. literally told me, what are you going to sell from stage? And I never sold from stage yet. I've only just like wanted to speak on stage. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you got to have something to offer them. You're going to go give all this value. What are you going to sell them? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I have like these different products. Maybe I'll do that. He's like, no, I think you should sell a coaching program with them, like an incubator accelerator. So I put together this influencer accelerator program, honestly, dude, in like 10 days before this event. And I went and I had two talks at this event. They flew in this other expert that was more of like a real estate content guy and we crushed it. Mm. And at the end, I pitched this influencer accelerator program for 997 and I opened up like 10 spots and they sold out like that. And I made like 10 Gs. And I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. And we had such phenomenal results with these real estate agents in this program that I looked at my team and I said, we're going to pull back a little on the done for you. And we're going to go all in on this model. And that was actually April 21st of my birthday. And I think in 2022, we ended up doing 
three or four of our own events that year, continued hosting yeah. events, and then speaking on other stages. And I ran 112 people through this coaching program, ended up raising the price as high as $6,000, started putting on 100-person events, um, selling out venues here in San Diego, and we were just crushing it, bro. And it all came from that personal brand because I taught mm. people how to get people in your social funnel and how to do that. So that, that's that been scaling for quite a while. I still own that company. We've pulled it back a little bit and I have courses and products. I don't live coach it anymore. I still speak on stage sometimes about it. And then I got a revelation. I knew something new was brewing. In the agency, I started using um, an AI software two years yeah. ago called Jasper. Before AI, before ChatGPT, there was another AI chat interface called Jasper that would help with writing copy and content. And I had systematized and built SOPs around the entire process to replace me from everything. From the moment a client signed on with us all the way to the deliverable of their assets, the communication with them, what we needed from it was all SOP'd out. Wow. And I started putting all these tools and these instruments and this artificial intelligence and this technology into this system and I created a well-oiled machine. Then I started using it for video editing. I started incorporating more AI into how we edit our videos and speeding up our time. And I took an employee that could edit 50 videos and I got him editing 200 videos. Chris, you listen to this? You catch he He's like, yep. And, and this was before AI was popular. So I had already systematized my business. In business, you need three things to scale. You need to know how to automate as many tasks as you can, yep. delegate with the right people around you, and eliminate things off your plate. As the business owners, you can focus on the highest and best use of your time. That's right. And so that's what I did inside of this company. And I became very efficient. And I get in rooms with high-level businessmen, and I've just dialed in this company. Then I started building this process I call lead flow, where I've always been the guy that will go to business owners like you. And my pitch was kind of, you don't need to go spend thousands of dollars in advertising for paid ads. You can build organic lead flow to your business to thrive without spending any money on paid ads. And I was kind of counter paid ads guy in the digital marketing. So I, in my space, I was a really unique mechanism because everyone just teaches like, oh, make a bunch of content on social media. But I care about the results and the money that the business owner makes because that's my ideal client. So I started building lead flow strategies to generate new client acquisition into the company. Mm. Then it was crushing it for years. And all of a sudden it started getting harder because everybody's a social influencer now. Everybody's making content. Yeah, everybody. So that inbound lead generation for your business, even you might've experienced this a little bit, it just wasn't as consistent as we wanted as business owners. Clients, they love my programs, they love my coaching. We we built this amazing personal brand, but they're like, man, like we're just not getting the business that we really thought we would get from this investment into social media. And, and I understand the long game, you understand the long game yep. and consistency and the compound effect and how that works, but business owners want results. They're looking right. at their bottom line. That's it. So I built a new system. And basically, when you post organic content, you rely on what's called inbound traffic and inbound leads to come to you. Oh my God, someone liked my post. Go, go message them. Or they commented me or they called me or they saw me and they do business with me. Very inconsistent. So I started going to my team and said, what if we start knocking on every single person's door virtually? because I did door-to-door -door sales. Yeah. And instead of waiting for them to come to us, we already have the personal brand, we already have the credibility, let's go knock on their door and let's give them value because lead with value. That's right. been a theme oh, yeah. of my life. Yep. Give them value, build relational equity, 
and make an ask. Because in business, the way that we make more money is simple, JD. Make more offers, make better offers, make offers to more people at once. If you want to sell more mattresses, ask more people to buy mattresses. Raise your prices, make better offers, make it more premium. You did that. Make offers to more people at once. Pitch a one-to-many, pitch to an audience, and now you have 100 people that you're asking to buy something instead of one-to-one. You've maximized your time. So I took this philosophy because I had ran into this in my businesses and coaching and my agency, and I applied it into a system where at first I used VAs, and we started DMing out thousands of people every single month. And I would hit you up and I'd be like, hey, what's up, JD? I love your content, man. You're absolutely crushing it. Hey, man, I created this free guide on how to get 10 clients from social media this month. Let me know if you want it for free. And I know that one out of 10 JDs in the world would be like, dude, yeah, send it over, bro. And I'm going to send you over that free resource. In the process, I'm going to lead you to a landing page. I'm going to capture your information. And then I'm going to follow up with you nurture that. And eventually I'm going to make an offer to you to do business with me. And I know one out of 10 people, 10 out of a hundred will raise their hand. And I know that two out of those 10 will buy something from me. Now I have numbers and it's scalable and it's systematizable. So I ran this process, but it was clunky. It was Google spreadsheets. It was DMs falling through the cracks. So I said, there has to be a better way. We have to innovate. My core values inside of content daily are excellence. Everything we do is with excellence. Yep. Innovation, everything we do is cutting edge and innovative, and we always lead the charge first with doing different, creating solutions different areas. We're not here to copy these guys. We're here to make our own lane, and they can watch what we're doing. And the third thing is simplicity. Keep it simple. Yep. Simple always scales. Don't overcomplicate right. it. So I took that to my team. I said, there has to be a better way, and we are going to figure it out. And we developed a system with artificial intelligence, automations, and what I call lead flow, which is that messaging through the DMs. And we began to incorporate um, an AI software that we have our own software, Content Daily Chat. So it's branded under my company, where we use AI to scrape and import people from the internet and social media targeted leads. So for you, I'll use you as an example. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So San Diego, California, you want more people to come buy mattresses. Now you also have an online store. You're going to come out with some future products. We're already talking about that. Super stoked for that. But you need to ask those people to do business with you. You need to give them value. And if you can build a massive database of their emails and their phone numbers and their names, that's like a goldmine for you to nurture them to do business with you over time in the future by again, et cetera. So now we go through the DMs and we start targeting San Diego, California on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And we max out anywhere from 1,500 to 5,000 DMs a month. Imagine you go walk around San Diego and knock on 1,500 doors a month and say, hey, what's up, JD? I created this sleep guide on how to you know, maximize your productivity, get better sleep, whatever. You, whatever you would create, yeah. that free resource. Yeah. Let me know if you want it for free. A percentage of people are going to say yes. So what we started doing is we used the software to scrape those leads, import them, create pipelines, messaging scripts, contact them. When they say yes, we lead them to a website, which is a landing page that is designed to get them to put their name, their email, their phone number. If you guys are familiar with digital marketing, it's a lead magnet. Right. And a consent to be communicated with through your company. When they hit that, on the back end, we fully autonomize the entire system. They automatically get a text message from you, an email from you, automatically like personalize, hey, what's up, Cody? You know, here's that free resource on sleep that I promised you, man. Um, would love some feedback from you. And hey, dude, if you want a free consultation on how to maximize your sleep, book a free call here with JD. You know, whatever you build for your sales team, whether right. it's you or someone yeah. else, right? Percentage of people will book a call just to talk to JD and learn from them. And what helps is you have a personal brand. So part of this system is built on when I look at who's sending me this message, I'm like, dang, this dude is the real deal. Yeah. 
Like this, I just want to talk to him, to be honest. And I'm, yeah. you can ask me to buy something, I'll probably buy it. But I just want to talk to you because you have a personal brand and you're a cool guy and you're doing cool things. Mm. So we automate the communication. Let's say Mr. Customer doesn't book a call. He just takes the lead magnet. We have follow-ups. Three days later, he gets a text message. What's up, Cody? It's JD. You know, checking in, this and that, man. How's your sleep going? Like just stuff like that, yeah, following up yeah, and nurturing yeah. me to make an offer to me or to invite me into your store. Depends on what you're, but you're brick and mortar. Hey man, you know, we have an, this exclusive deal. Only two people this week are getting it. And I wanted to personally invite you to come down in the store and take advantage of this deal. Now I feel, um, in, in marketing guys, you need three main things. You need scarcity, urgency, and exclusivity. <laughs> Yeah. Those are the three things you have to create, right? Yeah. Scarcity. There's limited quantity. If you don't act now, you're not going to get the deal. You're not going to get the thing. Urgency um, time. Like, hey, this is a limited time, bro. If you don't take advantage of this today, it's gone tomorrow. And exclusivity, everyone wants to belong with something exclusive. They want to be a part of something. They want to be unique. JD personally invited me down to a concierge at his mattress store. I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel valued. I feel special. I feel exclusive. But it, there's only two spots. And if I don't book it today, I don't get it, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's creating those three things in the communication with the individual. Now we've built a well-oiled machine that scales. Client acquisition. Everyone else in the world is make the podcast, post the Instagram video, post the TikTok, and here I come with an AI software and solution that says that's cute, but what if we knocked on 1,500 of their doors minimum every month and we asked them to do business with you and you spent $0 in paid ads and all of a sudden your business started acquiring, here's the numbers. If you send 1,500 DMs a month, 10% of those people will respond. That's 150. Yep. Out of those 150, 50% will be good leads. That's 75 people. 75 people you ask to buy something on average closing percentage is 20%. That's 15 new sales. Insert value of your product, service times 15. That's the system I've built. So now we have this new company, Leadful Academy. And it came because to be honest, I didn't build this for anybody else. I built it for me. Like I got stuff to sell too. I got companies. I want to scale. I got a family. I'm trying to tithe and build the kingdom and do my thing. And my buddy came to me and he said, bro, this is genius. Like I showed him my whole system, yeah. like basically peeking under the hood of your car and showing off like your engine. Right. And he's like, bro, you should help other people do this. I didn't even think about that. I wish I could take the credit. Yeah. And Jeremy, um, who's flying in town actually tomorrow, he's coming to the merge night at, you'll probably be at San Marcos, San Marcos but yeah. at um, Balboa, he told me we should start a business. So we built another company called Leadful Academy. And bro, let me tell you, man, I, I've launched some cool stuff. I've been in on some projects with some other big dogs and been a part of some things. Dude, we're about to break 200K in two months. I, that's what I've been paying attention to the most lately is you're blowing up with this thing. It's insane. Insane. But it works. It, and it makes sense. And it's like, I just explained it. Does that not make sense? 100%. Like, so much sense that it's, like, annoying. <laughs> like, annoying that I'm not doing this, like, to this T. Yeah. Right? We're gonna. Uh, and, and I know Chris over here, because Chris is a, you know, marketing agency. I know Chris is paying attention. Right? Even Chris for his agency, right? Yeah. Even for this, right? And he could leverage this and reach out to people and maybe they're doing some level of outbound, but systematize and scale it. And guys, once you get data, once you know, hey, I asked this many people, you tweak it. Yeah. Like you dial it in. Oh, that messaging didn't work as well. Let me tweak yeah. that until yeah. you get the right recipe and then it just converts. It's incredible, dude. Uh, uh, dude, I'm so glad we, that, we, <laughs> that we landed this. With, okay, so so finish off with people right now that are listening watching they're scared they're doubting themselves 
who am I to talk about this? Who am I to build a personal brand? Where do they start with their per- guide them? We're going to land the plane on giving the listeners and viewers a little bit of insight and a little bit, a couple of pearls on where do they start with their personal brand? If they just want to start doing something right now. Yeah. I want to start with this JD. There will never be another you in the world. Yep. God created you perfect just the way that you are inside of you are gifts talents, ideas, dreams, and passions. And I think so many people have been attacked by Satan and by the enemy, and they've, they've let him deceive them. So there's an individual listening to this right now that feels, who am I to make content? Who am I to put myself out to the world? Who am I? Who will watch me? Who will care what I say? Well, I say that if you believe in God, then our God is perfect and he made you in his image and his likeness. Therefore, you are made in the likeness of him. Therefore, you are perfect in his eyes too. So therefore, what he gave you and what comprises you is special and unique to you. There will never be another JD in the world. I could try to be you, bro. I'll never be that big, but I could try all day to be JD and I will never be the best version of JD, but I will always be able to be the best version of Cody Cottle. So I'd say when it comes to building a personal brand, there's first a mindset shift of understanding there will never be another you in the world. Yep. And if you understand what that actually means, then you begin to operate from a place of power and God not just a place of timidity, because I was very insecure most of my life and I found confidence. I found Godfidence, I call it, because of that relationship and knowing that God created me perfect. And because Wally told me there will never be another me in the mm. world, I'm still that little boy sitting on that deck that believes what that man told me. He believed in me before I believed in myself. Yeah. Sometimes you got to believe in the belief someone else has in you before you believe in yourself. I love that. So when it comes to personal brand, First, it's the mindset of understanding you do have something to give the world. There is something unique. There is something special about you that only you could share with the world. Next, it comes down to a level of being willing to put yourself out there and not being afraid of what other people think or say. I love Les Brown. He's one of my favorite motivational speakers yep. and his story is so amazing. And he had a tough childhood and growing up being labeled, you know, educal, mentally retarded, as he says, and overcoming that because he had a doc, uh, teacher tell him, Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. That's right. The truth is when you put yourself out there, when you build a personal brand, a lot of people will have an opinion about you, about your brand, about your content, about what you do, but their opinion does not have to become your reality. And often the critics that critique us online are the ones that are actually inspired the most by mm. us. They're just afraid and they feel insecure because we put ourselves out there and it creates a highlight inside of them of seeing you do that when deep down they want to do it too but they're too scared to. So what do they do? They criticize you. They form an opinion on you. Everyone sitting outside of the game tells you how to play the game. Then get in the game, right? That's right. So there's a level of that, of doing that. Here's the big thing with personal brand though. Consistency wins. Consistency, yeah. You, you, you know what? I don't have the best content. I don't, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the strongest guy. I'm not the best looking guy. These guys might make way better content than I make. There's guys out there like, there's all that. I, I've come a long way. I can show you where I came from. I get better. I improve. But I have one thing. I keep going. I'm consistent. I'm consistent. And you know what? My mentor told me, a friend of mine, he, same guy I launched out of his living room, my company. He sat me down. Actually, we were standing. We were in his kitchen. I could see it, the countertop. <laughs> yeah thinking through. And he's like, Hey man, I want to tell you something. He works with this other guy I know that has $32 million company. And he said, bro, you're stepping into the arena. You're stepping into the race. He said, the most important thing I can tell you is 
it's not about how fast you run the race right now. It's not about where you finish in the race. It's about that you keep showing up to the track meet. You keep showing up to run the race. He said, you're going to show up today and you might finish last. You might finish second to last. Don't worry about that. Show up tomorrow, run a race again. Show up the next day, run the race again. Show up the next day, run the race again. Sooner or later, that guy that was in front of you didn't show up to today's race. He's not there anymore. <laughs> you get a little faster. You show up to the next race. Hey, that guy used to beat me. I'm, I'm a little farther ahead than he is. Hey, that guy that was three places in front of me, I haven't seen him in a while. Same thing happens with content. I kept showing up. I kept showing up. I kept showing up. I kept posting videos. Even when they didn't get views, even when they didn't get likes, even when they didn't get money off of it. But I kept showing up and I kept playing my own game. So the lesson that I'll give to the audience is, for one, a personal brand is the most valuable asset you can have. But it's going to require you playing your own game, not worrying about what other people think. And it's going to take consistency because consistency creates the eighth wonder of the world, what Albert Einstein said, which is called the compound effect. And when you put small efforts in every single day, those efforts do compound and double over time. That coaching program I launched that I made $23,000 in, Worst pitch in the history of pitches. <laughs> I asked people why they bought from me. At the end of my program, I always do an offboarding process. And I said, why did you do business with me? And I'll never forget, this guy looked at me and he said, bro, I've been watching you make videos every day, day after day after day. And I've never seen someone show up so consistently to something they're passionate about like you do. And I figured, what the heck, if you can show up that consistently to make videos, you can probably show up consistently to coach me. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency. That's it. That's it. That's it. And, and playing your own game, man. Play the long game. Champions play their own game. I'm not competing with JD. In fact, he's like a buddy. We're both running our own race, and oh, we yeah. look over and like, man, I like the way that guy runs. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? We're inspired by one another. We're not competition. That's right. So I play my own game. And the key is don't self-sabotage. Don't run at 100% either. Throttle it at about 80. Yep. Or you'll burn out. Oh, they would burn out, yeah. And keep playing that long game. And it's crazy because then you start actually seeing the compound effect of all those years of making videos, the relationships. I mean, even this, I wouldn't be here with JD. I wouldn't have the opportunities I have. I wouldn't have the companies I have. I wouldn't have the relationship I had had I not put myself out on social 100%. media. 100%. Yeah. 100% because I kept seeing you. Mm -hmm. I kept seeing you. I kept seeing you. Finally, I'm like, man, this dude. So then I tune in and watch a little bit. I see you again. Tune in and watch a little bit. That's why you're here. Yeah. I was like, this dude's just on it. He is consistent. He is for real. That's why you're here. Yeah. Cody Cottle, ladies and gentlemen, this was freaking fire. Let's go. Come on, dude. Great story. Incredible ending. Incredible pearls for the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Cody Cottle, appreciate your time, bro. I'm honored. Thanks for coming on. Love you. Thanks for having me on, man. And guys, I just want to say, remember, there will never be another you in the world. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Real deal talk. That's a wrap. Huh. Let's go. Boom.